What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. We've got a very fun conversation coming to you today. Uh, I had put out there a couple weeks ago that we were going to have a cast member from Survivor Borneo, the first ever season. And this cast member had a conflict, something came up, a little busy. So we got another member of the cast pinch hitting for him. So Jervis Peterson was supposed to join me and we'll have Jervis on sometime in December, maybe in the new year. Uh, but he told me, man, I'm a little busy right now with work and everything going on here at the end of the year, as a lot of people are. Thankfully, Sean Kniff, right? Kniff, right? Yeah, right? Kniff. You know, my mom says Kenneth. My dad says Kniff. I go with my dad's pronunciation. So you hit it right on the head, Jack. Dr. Sean, that's how we know him, master of the alphabet strategy from the first season of Survivor, pinch hitting for Jervis today. Not a big (laughs) sports guy. But we got yeah, and Jervis is unfortunately. <laughs> Jervis is a big sports guy, a big Eagles fan, you know. But uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Jervis lives a very busy life. He always had, and he's going to be a lot funnier than I am. So stay tuned for him when he comes back. But uh, <laughs> but I'm always willing to do anything. I got a bunch of weird stuff going on. I'm definitely way weirder than Jervis. <laughs> I live an unorthodox life, um, but we'll get into some of that, I guess. Well, Jervis yeah. said first of all, he wanted me to say hi to you. Uh, yeah, for he's him. the best. Love he said, guy. you're an absolute great guy, hilarious yeah, dude. Yeah. And he said, yeah. make sure you ask him about the time that he tried to build a bowling alley on. Oh, Survivor. yeah, of course. Yeah, no, we'll talk all about that. I'll, I'll spill all my secrets, whatever you need to know about Survivor, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not a sports fan. Like I, I told you, Jack, in the pre-interview that, um, you know, I'm watching World Cup soccer. Go France. Allez les bleus. We root for France for whatever reason. I'm not French. My wife is Cuban. I'm Irish. Um, but we root for France. Uh, but that's really uh, – I could name maybe one or two players on the team. I can't name uh, anybody else. I'm just a bandwagoner. Um, but I do watch it. And um, so I'm, I'm pretty uh, pumped about today's game. But outside of that, I, I've seen – when I watched the Royal Wedding, uh, when Meghan Markle married Harry – I posted on on Facebook. It's official. I've watched more royal weddings this year than boxing matches, football <laughs> games, basketball games, or anything combined. I don't know why. Whatever genes required for a guy to have to watch sports, I do not have for some reason. I don't know. I'm missing that gene. So, so I'm, I apologize in advance to your sports fans. You're all good, man. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever play any sports growing up? I did. You know, I, I, I played soccer until eighth grade, but I was also I was on the swim team. I wrestled and I boxed. Um, so I swam through high school. And the only thing I did past college, I wrestled one year in college. Um, but, yeah, I wrestled from fourth grade through one year in college and I boxed up until like 22 or 23. So I'm, a, I'm like an aging athlete. I mean, I like sports. I, I, I got a man card. I, I'm a little macho, I think, or used to be. Um, but at the same time is uh, stats and you know, uh, yards and fantasy leagues. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Zero. <laughs> How yeah. does one get into boxing at a young age? Uh, I think you have a dad that boxed before. That's number one. <laughs> you know, so my dad was an Irish firefighter. Everything to know about New York City firefighters uh, from 9-11 is true of my dad. He would be the first one in those buildings, last one to leave. A lot of Survivor fans met my dad. I had him on uh, the first family visit ever. Um, he came out there and uh, they made him look ridiculous, but he, you know, he's an absurd and ridiculous guy, but uh, just a tough guy, for, boxed in the Navy um, and just a, a great guy. And so when that grows up, you know, Irish people used to box back in the day and that's how it got started for me. 
Yeah, I've got but I'm, you know, I was never any good. Look at this big Irish potato head I got. It was a big target, <laughs> so I was never any good. Um, so uh yeah you mentioned when your dad came on the uh loved one visit and i just rewatched borneo this is probably like the fourth or fifth time i've seen it now in my life and i'm sure we'll talk plenty about it but i really love the way that that jeff did the reveal to have your dad there it's like come meet the captain and uh total surprise you were shocked you know, I mean, here's how it goes down. First of all, when you try out for Survivor, and I think the process is still the same, it's kind of secretive. You fill out this application with a lot of questions on it. This is before you even chosen when you're one of hundreds of thousands of people to try to get on the show. And you you write down, like, if you can have a letter from anybody on the island, who would it be? And I wrote my mom at the time. Other people wrote ridiculous things like the president of the United States <laughs> to ask for help or something, you know? And then if you can get a visit for anybody who would it be? And I answered honestly. I wrote my dad because if anyone's going to help me get off the island, he's very wily and crafty. It'd be my dad. Um, so I wrote that honestly. Other people put like David Letterman or Jessica Alba, which was also a really good idea, you know, especially <laughs> just the Jessica Alba. Um, but at the same time, yeah, especially is, you know, in the year would... 2000, Jessica Alba. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, um, well, she's a billionaire now. I don't know if she was a billionaire then, but, uh, but still a great looking billionaire, man. That's, that's a deadly combination, but my dad, so you feel sad for my dad. Then you win, you know, the only contest I won out there was a trivia contest about the, it was the army survival manual as the only contest I ever won out there. And I got it. And they said, Oh, you, you know, see that yacht out there tomorrow night. It's going to look like on TV that you went the same night, but it's going to be tomorrow because, you know, we don't have, uh, there's someone using the yacht tonight. They gave me, Jeff told me this line of BS, right? Someone's using it, it's going to be tomorrow. But what I didn't know is that then they, at that point, they had, there was like eight or 10 people left on the island. And they had everyone's significant other waiting in Los Angeles. And whoever won that contest then got a call from Borneo. And then they stuck my dad on a plane, jetted him across space till, till the middle of the South China Sea. And they raced him over there. He got there like a half an hour before I saw him or something, supposedly. So it was like a real race to get him over there. Um, and, you know, and then when I come back after something like that, oh, they're flying Sean's dad out there. He must have won the million dollars or something. Everyone believed that won the million dollars because why else would they be flying my dad out to Borneo, you know, from <laughs> L.A.? So uh, it was just quite a quite a scene, man. But what a, what a blessing that show was for both me and my dad. He recently passed this past Father's Day. Um, so any Survivor fans that saw that, yeah, my dad's a great guy and passed on Father's Day. Never gave him moments trouble his entire life. Just fell asleep and never woke up. He'd had a stroke, had heart disease in the past, you know, in the recent years. But just went to bed after watching Les Mis, one of his favorite things on PBS, and never woke up. So mm-hmm. but what a blessing that man was. But to have him on the nation's number one TV show and share my dad in front of 30 million people, I think, watched that episode. Like, that was just the, the highlight of our lives for sure. Man, highlight of your lives. That's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, sorry for your loss, by the way. I know. Yeah, oh, that's okay. Be really that's, hard. Yeah. yeah, I'm way less sad than I was two months ago. That's for sure. You know, it gets easier. I'm sure, like a lot of your audience, people have passed. It's just when you're blessed with someone like that, it's it's more feeling sorry for yourself and you know, sorry for all the things that he's going to miss. But like I said, life is finite for all of us, and uh, we all have a timeline. And my dad went without causing anybody a day of trouble his entire life. I don't know how one man lives like that. How one man lives so good for so long and never harms a soul. Like, that's just really amazing. And, you know, to, to be his son was just uh, a, a wonderful experience. And what a, what a great head start in life I got just thanks to him and my mom. Yeah. You know, it is funny, thanks, though. Oh, you're welcome. But, you know, what's funny yeah. is 
people were all try. I, I like the scene with your dad and everyone's trying to find out information of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> and he's, he's like, like me. He's totally disconnected, bro. He's like me. I, I'm totally my father's son. Uh, what's going on? Who won the NCAA? Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, did it, is that, what are the, how's the market doing? Uh, oh, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, like that's me too. I don't know. I'm just, just living my life, trying to be happy. When did you guys, when were you guys out there shooting that? Was that in 1999 or is that early 2000? Um, it was, it aired in 2000. So I think it was summer of 2000. I'm not sure. I think it was well, summer. Well, it, it aired in 2000. So it would have been filmed. It says, okay, yeah, in the it says, summer. It says on Wikipedia, March 13th through April 20th, 2000. So I mean, yeah. What would have been going on? Well, that was an election year, so you had primaries to figure out who could uh, be running for president. Uh, right. Sports and right. yeah. uh, what else yeah, could be going on? Market crashes. You know, what's going on <laughs> at home? I don't know. Yeah, that, you know, yeah. They just, uh, in his defense, um, you know, he's never that engaged. I mean, he lives a happy life, um, and I think there's something to be a humble life. He loved his kids extravagantly. And um, he didn't really care. He didn't get too mired in the day-to-day -day politics, the day-to-day. -day. I'm thinking about what's dividing everybody. We right. briefly touched upon politics, you and I, just a few moments ago before the recording started. And, you know, the, the way I see it is, like, I'd much rather – I'm not vested in any of my political opinions. I have them. And I'd much rather have friends than have a political opinion. So I, I really I kind of keep my political opinions to myself. My dad was kind of the same way. I, I have friends way to the left, friends way to the right. I really don't care. I like them anyway. And you know, it's and then my dad was the same way. So he didn't really pay attention to those things. He was a soccer guy, you know, driving me to boxing or swimming or whatever. Like he was the guy who did all that stuff, you know. So he didn't really pay attention to the world around him, which is a nice way to live. Was it nice to just take a break from, and by the way, the world was very different. It was 22 years ago. Now it feels like yeah. news is everywhere. You can't escape yeah. it because you're on your phone. You get notifications, yeah. people texting you all the time. Like yeah. I grew up, I was kind of, so I'm 28. So I think I was at the end of like the generation of the millennials where we didn't have this. Like we can remember a life without having this stuff. And then by the yeah. time we got into kind of late high school or early college was really when, you know, you had a, everyone had a smartphone. But before that, I mean, we lived a pretty normal life. And now it, it just feels like it would be a really nice break to just spend 30 days out and be away from everything that's going on in the news It'd just be probably a nice cleanse from everything. Was it like that even back then? It was, and you're absolutely right. It was. I say to people all the time that the world was a lot better when we weren't so connected. And I know that the default position is that the internet and computers have revolutionized the world for a better, uh, in a better way. But I think that when you really think of the whole of things, when you talk about cyberbullying, or if you talk about um, your inter like there's this work-life balance that's completely in disarray now because we're all doing work from home or we're all playing at work. We're all doing home stuff at work and is the, the lines have been completely blurred. Next thing you know, you're going to be an automaton. When you think about all the internet porn, all the cyberbullying, all the financial uh, scams that can go on all via the internet, I'm not sure the balance of, of benefit comes out in favor of the internet. Back 
then, especially like when you think about dating. I mean, I, I was I, I got married long before internet dating uh, became a thing, really. But we used to have to. It takes a lot of guts for a man to go up and start talking to a woman at a bar. You're with your friends; she's with her friends. That's a selection criteria that has been used for eons to propagate the human species through generations. And, you know, it requires a lot of sexual signaling, a girl flipping her hair, checking you out, laughing with her friends, and you know, like all this stuff that says, okay, you're invited, come on over. And then you come over and you start a line, you say something stupid or funny or cute, whatever, right? And you get it going. Like that all takes a lot of bravado. And that's all subtracted out of even just the mating rituals right now. So like, I don't know where this is all going from an evolutionary perspective, but to answer your question, back then the world was very different. There were bulletin boards, if you can imagine. There was no real internet, but bulletin boards that people could post about Survivor. There was one thing I think called Survivor Sucks, where I got all kinds of dirt on myself. Um, but uh, but you know that was very. It was a much smaller uh, internet universe back then. But it did feel really nice. I mean, I come from New York, where everyone says, "Oh, New York has great energy and so much fun and all this other." And I think that everyone's confusing New York's great energy with like everyone's just really freaking busy. Like we're up at five a.m. working hard. Even if you work in a deli, you're working your butt off in that deli. And I think that people confuse that for like some kind of weird energy, and it really isn't. Um, so it was nice to get out of New York City. It was my first vacation I ever took. My dad retired on $28,000 a year as a New York City firefighter. So uh, I didn't travel at all. First time I took a plane was to Borneo to get on uh, get on a plane and go to Borneo for uh, Survivor. Um, well, to LA first, but then you know went over to Borneo. So it was the first vacation I ever took to live with nature, to be out there. You can't have bills. I mean, I know they're piling up at home, but you can't do anything about it. So you kind of push it out of your mind and just move on with your life, you know. So it was great to be out there and just you know remove yourself from the world. And I would imagine it'd be even much better right now. I just wonder if people who do it now, if because at this point you've got people like people who are eight years younger than me who are 20. I don't know if they remember a life when they didn't have iPads, when they didn't have smartphones, when they didn't have video games. And just it, it, I, sometimes when I talk to people who are in college or even just freshly out of college, I feel like I'm a lot older than them because yeah. of they're um, not everyone. And this is a generalization, but there's a greater attachment to technology. And I wonder if I just feel like it'd be harder for those people to now go and be away from it. Cause in 2000, like we didn't have any of that stuff. You yeah. felt, it felt like people were more present, more attentive, but I think it'd probably be a really good thing for them to go and do that because it'd be yeah. like, Oh, this is what it's like to start a new society. This is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, listen, let me tell you about how the world was before you. I mean, I used to get up and change my TV channel. That's how old I am. You know, half the shows I grew up with were the Munsters, the Honeymooners, stuff like that, all black and white. You got to get up and flip the dial. The phone, I had the rotary thing when we grew up. So um, it was a very different world. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to like blow everyone's mind. Like imagine if you left work, I don't think any of us have this life anymore, that when you leave work, you go home, they can't reach you. That's how it was, unless it is extreme mercy. You'd go home, you had a home phone, a landline in your house, and work would only call if the boss died or if this place went on fire or if there was a robbery. That was it. You would come home and you would be unreachable. Think about that. That's how it was. Like it was really a, quite a different world. So, 
you know, we're all living it. And like, even things like I used to read a lot. I mean, I read about a book a month for a decade, you know, and now I still like reading, but I don't do it. I pick up my book. I get about, you know, 10, a hundred pages in or whatever. I'm like, let me see what's going on on Facebook. Let me see what Jack Vita's up to. Let me see what I, let me see if anything's, let me see if I got an email in the interim of me reading 10 pages. You know, it's a, it's just a different world. And like you had the plausible deniability, like with girlfriends and boyfriends, like, hey, where were you? I tried to call. I was like, oh, I wasn't home. I was out. You know, like you couldn't get their message. Now they, they'll text you a hundred times, a thousand times till you answer. Um, it's it's just a, it's a hyper-connected world that I really just don't think it's good. So um, anyone that can take a break from it should because they find it very liberating. And we're going to get into some of my other creative weird stuff that I do with my life. But I'm telling you, a key to that, if you're a creative individual, a key to it is putting your phone down. As soon as my phone's down and I'm resisting the urge, like look at it, look at Facebook or scroll or do anything, like all these ideas come to me. Like I'm a painter, I'm a drawer, I'm, I invented a lot of bunch of things. I've written books, novels, whatever. Um, you know, I do all this weird stuff, but at the same time, it's like if I have my phone in my hand, I'm not doing that. And the incentive to flip through it is a lot of, but as soon as you put it down, like all of a sudden all these ideas start coming to you. Like you give your brain a second to relax and the ideas will come flooding in. Um, so, you know, I, I would highly recommend disconnecting whenever you can, wherever you can. Well, another thing you touched on that I think is interesting was I actually was having this conversation with some uh, boys last night is that people... I think people are less direct now with all this stuff. They don't speak clearly. They don't give you yes or no answers. And that's something that happens a lot with, you know, asking women out or getting an answer. And it's like, you know, if, if people, I think this is something that happens as a result of smartphones and social media, people are more passive aggressive or what have you. They don't face confrontation or conflict face on. They don't talk. They don't communicate. Yeah. And for me, I'm just like, you know, hey, if you, you know, if you don't want to hang out with me, if you don't have time, mail or tell me, right, friend, yeah. whatever, just say, hey, you know what? Not going to work out. Sorry, whatever. Right. Okay, now right. I have an answer. But if you, you know, drag people along, oh, well, there's this and this. And it's, it's so unclear to tell, like, does this person want to hang out with me? Does this right. person want to be friends with me? You know, should I keep trying to include them in our plans? And this is, like I said, this goes beyond dating. This is, you know, friendships, relationships, family members, you know, and it's just uh, I, we need to bring back some of that directness. People yeah. are scared of it's like they're scared of saying no because they think they're going to hurt people, but they hurt people more by not showing them the respect of giving them a direct answer. I definitely think you're right when it comes to dating, but if you're too firm nowadays, then you can end up paying a price for it on the internet, right? That before, if you piss somebody off, they would just tell a couple of their friends and it stays there. But now they can put you on blast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, they can email your job. They can do anything. So you really, I mean, I think everyone's kind of afraid because we've, as this has evolved, uh, as the technology has evolved around us, I really think the thought police have evolved around us too. And we're, we're self-censoring a lot um, because nobody wants to get in trouble because the thought police are around every corner. Um, not to pull a, a literary reference, but you know, but they are. And you know, to some degree that's helpful because I don't like hearing bad speech about anybody anyway, but it, you know, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's gone way overboard um, in that sense that so we don't really have 
freedom of speech anymore like we did in the past, regardless of whether you're dating or at a job. It's it's not the same. It's difficult to be direct. But just to have a more fun aspect, on it, when, you, when you get to dating, like men were always clueless, uh, always clueless, always not taking a hint. I mean, I had a lot of female friends, like it's not getting the hint. So if I was a man, if you get a subtle hint, well, first of all, let me give a, a, a little, anyone that's struggling in relationships, the best weapon you have against a pretty woman is indifference. It is the absolute only weapon you have is indifference. So women, especially good looking women, are used to having men beg for them, chase them, text them, try for them. And when you don't do that for them, their head spins out of control. They don't know what to do. So just, you know, once you get a, your foot in the door, act like you don't want your foot in the door. <laughs> Play a little hard to get, get a life. And whatever you do, do not take signals that are wishy-washy. I, I, I always said to my friends that I'm like, you know, a hundred batting a thousand when it comes to like women, because like I need to be hit over the head that she is interested before I approach. Like I, my self pride is worth way too much that I'm going to stick my neck out for a possible uh, hookup or a possible date or a possible uh, interaction. It would have to be, you know, I, I stay in the bar drinking with my buddies all night. Doesn't matter as long as I. But if I get the signals like, hey, someone I'm attracted to was attracted to me, and I was sure of it. Then I went over, but I mean, it would have to be this very like I have to be a very bright, flashing green light for me to go over because my pride. I'm not willing to get shot down in front of my friends, which is the likely thing. But other guys have uh, less um, aversion to that type of thing, but uh, but I don't. But again, but just remember, men, if you're struggling with a relationship, it takes everything that you have indifference is the sharpest sword that you have in your arsenal. Just act indifferent to them and they won't know what to do with themselves. That's and you're married, you're married now. How many kids? Married. Three kids, three beautiful kids. I married a woman. She's beautiful. Uh, her name is Esther. She's an old soul, weirdo artist, the type person like myself. Um, we have a lot of fun together. Funniest person I've ever met in my life. Um, she looks dynamite. And, uh, you know, Cuban lady, uh, Cuban by descent. She's more American than you or I. And uh, she's uh, speaking of politics. She's a little over. I call her Cubanon because she's a little over the top with the politics. Uh, but she's great. I tell her she should get her own radio show because she's funny and she's wicked smart. And she uh, she went to Columbia. University. She's a real success story. She uh, was uh, in all honors programs down here in Miami Beach High. She dropped out of high school. Her first day back in college was the first day we met. And she went to community college. She got straight A's in the community college, of course. And I, I said, hey, listen, you can go to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Columbia, whatever. Though They love people like you. She applied to Ivy League. She got to Columbia University on full scholarship and graduated summa cum laude as a high school dropout. So uh, she's really amazing. Um, and uh, like I said, she can do anything she wants in this world. But we have three beautiful kids together. We have a How great. How old life. are the kids? Young. I started late, so I'm going to be 53 this week. Happy birthday to me! Oh, you look God, great, by the so way. <laughs> I'm trying, man. You don't see me naked, so uh, it's it's, it's uh, <laughs> Richard entirely popping into this yes. Zoom call too. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, right. No, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not, I don't want to say Richard looks good, I mean, for his age, but uh, but I'm telling you, but naked, uh, I'm, I'm pulling a little hatchman do right there. It's not It's not pretty <laughs> when I take my shirt off, but you know, but but the rest of me is holding on. I still got hair on my head, which is a surprise, you know, so I didn't shower today, so I apologize for that. Ah, that's um, all good. But yeah, but 53 and I got three little kids. So um, there's Logan and Lola, they're twins, they're seven. 
and uh, my oldest is Lilu, L-I-L-O-U, it's a French name, and, um, and she is nine, and uh, they're the light of my life, they're the greatest kids, and uh, if you're on the fence about having kids, do it, it's the biggest blessing you'll ever have in life, they're just amazing. I w- definitely want to have kids someday, I want to get married someday, I'm enjoying yeah. my life now. Uh, Listen, but- indifference, brother, indifference. Find the girl you want and play indifference, to, indifferent to her. I did that with Esther. It's like, what is it with these games and blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> you know that whole thing. So, but you yeah, know, but it worked. Here we are. Well, the so, age, age seven, age nine. The that's just in, really enjoy it because that's an amazing age. I was telling you yeah. before. Uh, in my free time, I'm a substitute teacher at a Christian school, and yeah. you get I. The school has preschool through twelfth grade. I've sub every grade. And the elementary age from like that second through fourth grade is a really fun special age because they're still so little and so cute, but they're not quite as like, they're a little more independent. They're a little more like little people than they are. um, Like they're they're fully actualized human beings. Yeah. They're, they really, some of the younger kids require much more attention, much more, you know, got to make sure that they do all this other stuff. Right. But with that, like there's, they, they have that wide eye wonder looking at the world. I mean, like something I miss about being a kid is how excited I got for Christmas as a kid. Yeah. And like my dad told me, he's like, you know, when I had you guys like that came back to me because I saw how excited Christmas oh. was for you guys. No, it's it's the you know the Christmas season is upon us, and let me tell you, it's uh they're all in for Santa still, which is nice. It's probably the last year because once the oldest sister figures things out, she's definitely gonna you know spill the beans on her little brother and sister. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's probably our last year, but what a, what a great time of the year, and it's really magical to have kids around the holidays and. And yes, yeah, just to watch them grow. And like you said, be an actualized human being. Like they all have their strengths, their weaknesses, their personalities, their insecurities. You see a lot of yourself. I see a lot of my wife. It's just the coolest thing ever. Um, but yeah, what a blessing. So yeah. do they know that you were on a TV show? Have they seen any of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, they think I'm super famous. You know, well, after here, you know, I, I had a big, long career in CBS News for a while. Um, you know, doing medical reports for CBS Network and CBS Local. In fact, I just got off the phone with Dr. Mark Siegel from Fox News. He's a friend of mine. So, you know, we, uh, we, like I said, we, uh, you know, I did medical reporting to Dr. Sean Kniff, CBS News, Miami or New York or whatever. So that was a lot of fun. So I, I did that for a while too. So anyone on TV to them is like a big person, a big week. <laughs> but after Survivor, I don't think people know really after Survivor, like how bad we hit the celebrity circuit. Like I got invited, I lived in New York, so it was a little bit different, but I got invited to Prince's 50th birthday party. I went to see the premiere of AI with Steven Spielberg when he had with uh, Jude Law and Haley Joel Osment in that movie. I walked the red carpet and uh, Stuttering John, if you remember from Howard Stern, he was outside the red carpet, but you know, the velvet rope in there. And he's like, Sean, Sean, Stuttering, I don't want to make fun of him. Sean, 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 how, how, how the f- did you get in there? You know, but he said, how the <laughs> F word did you get in there? You know? So, but like, you know, but we had like, I met like every celebrity, like, it's crazy. I can't watch TV for five minutes without seeing them. Like big celebrity, like Jack Nichol, Nichol the God, not the golfer, the, the actor, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, Nicholson. Uh, you know, uh, Aretha Franklin, 
Um, yeah, like you just met so many people, all the Baldwin brothers. Um, everybody, like you just met all, yeah, you met all these people in such a short amount of time. It was like really crazy. And like, I they didn't invite me. I mean, honestly, maybe once or twice they got invited because they liked me personally, but that's not the way Hollywood goes. I didn't understand this at the time. Is that Prince, for instance, was having a birthday party, his 50th birthday party at the old Studio 54 in New York. So he hires a PR company to fill it with, quote, local celebrities. So I was one of that PR company's local celebrities that got hired. So I get invited to the Yankees World Series parties or anything like that. I got invited to all that stuff. Whenever this PR company got hired, I was on their list of local resident New York celebrities. So I got to go to all this cool stuff, the, the MTV Video Music Awards. You know, I was behind Christina Aguilera on the red carpet in front of Lenny Kravitz. It's when Britney Spears ripped her clothes off right in front of me, like on stage. It was crazy, you know, crazy time, you know, just amazing. Yeah. So I have pictures in I know every magazine I've ever been in. So my kids see me in Us Weekly on the same page as Al Roker, Britney Spears, and Madonna. And in their head, that's all it that's all equatable. They're all like, oh, my dad was like super famous. You know, they don't know how lame I am, but I'm keeping it that way until they're older. So <laughs> then they'll know how lame I was. Fifth place finisher on uh, Survivor 1, you know, so. Yeah, you guys were such a huge deal. And it's something that I know that Survivor has picked up a lot of fans over the years. So I know some people who haven't, didn't experience it live like they don't re they don't remember they don't realize that this thing was a huge huge deal the yeah. finale was a one of the biggest events I, in television right. history i think 54 million i think 50 more million 54 million people tuned in it was like the super bowl it was crazy yeah it was like basically it was pretty comparable to what friends got for its finale and friends yeah. had been building towards that for 10 years you guys yeah, yeah. had 12 episodes. No, and on top of that, I had people going through my garbage. I had, you know, the National Enquirer calling all my ex-girlfriends. I had people who had come out of a restaurant. I had some paparazzi snapping pictures sometimes. Like, it was a crazy time. Like, and that's never going to happen again because, you know, the TV universe is infinitely expanded, right? A lot of people watching Netflix and, and stuff like that now. So celebrities aren't what they used to be. Of course, there's your A-listers, your Brad Pitt, your Angelina Jolie's and stuff like that. Um, they're always going to be around probably, but at the same time is like, there are so many uh, secondary level celebrities that it's hard to tell like who's a celebrity and who isn't, you know, I, I when, every time I see one of these TikTokers or YouTubers who have 64 million views on their website, you know, like what makes them any more popular than someone who's on like, uh, you know, they're probably way more popular and with a higher fan base than someone who's on like an average drama on CBS, NBC, or ABC. Like, so there's so many venues for people now to be famous that, you know, just like me, I'm a very lucky individual that uh, land on the nation's number one TV show just before that universe changed and where it's never going to be the same. That's why when people ask me, have you ever gone back? They've asked me back two or three times, you know, do you want to go oh, back? Do you remember and when? Was it for all stars? Um, I think one one of them was for heroes and something else. Like I, I, I don't villains. watch it. Yeah, something like that. And then the, there was one with healthcare. I forget what that one was. But oh, they, the, they had a some, season that was like heroes versus healers versus hustlers. Yeah, Is that, there was something like that. I think it was that season. They but didn't like, oh, have they, any, and then they had they had the other one that you, they might have contacted you for. Did they contact you for the loved one one, the blood versus no. water? No. No, I don't think so. But they wanted to, like, they have, um, uh, you know, that they, they, they reach out every now and then. And listen, I had a wonderful experience. I don't, you know, the one thing I would say for anybody who's thinking about reality TV, fame 
only is only really good if it comes with a lot of money, you know, and it didn't for most of us. So here you are, you know, so that the nation's number one TV show, everyone knows you in a sense, they do know you. It's not like knowing a character. They know who you are. And then you still go back to your same job. Now, for me, I was a doctor and still to this day, people Google me like they ask how was Survivor and all this other stuff. I went back to being a doctor. It's not a big deal. For a while, it was awkward. And people were like, oh, the Survivor doctor is my doctor. You know, that was like the governing conversation. And, you know, you're out there, you're doing a lot of silly stuff. It doesn't really uh, translate into medical trust. But at the same time, as you know, I survived that. That was fine. Um, but what if you like your you know, you're like Colby Donaldson from Survivor 2 and you get up there, you're your household name. And then you got to go back to what? Changing air filters in the car. I think it was a mechanic or something before, you know, it's kind of a, it puts you in a very weird position. And he was able to translate it into uh, some Hollywood success. You know, he's a great looking guy, super nice guy. Um, but at the same time, it really puts duress on you. Like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, all I know is working this like a waitress or whatever. And then you got to go back to super friends. Like, oh, you'll never guess who was serving me my cheese fries at Chili's. Jenna Lewis from, you know, so like you can't really do that, you know, like, and, uh, you know, so it puts you in a very weird position um, after Survivor. And I, I think a lot of us felt that. And if it didn't come with a lot of money, um, it, you know, fame has a, a, a very big downside um, to it. I know most people are like, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, you know, when you have it, you wouldn't, I don't think. It's uh, TV is very much the cesspool that a lot of people think it is. They don't care about you. I, after spending 10 years doing CBS News, um, and I like, uh, I met great people at CBS News. There's nothing against that organization in particular, but just meeting TV people and production crews and stuff like that, time to time, you know, like it's never what you think it is. It's always horrible. It's a very insecure business. And uh, no one, uh, I was told by one of the executive producers of Good Morning America, he's still a friend of mine, I won't out him, but he's like, Sean, just remember, you will never have any friends in this industry. And that's been true. Um, that's what I've found, um, that I've never, when, it, when I needed them for to promote a book or something like that, no one really came through for me. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's really true. That, and I helped some of those people with some big medical issues too. And, um, you know, taking care of their moms or dads and stuff like that. And um, none of them were able to come through for me when I needed them. Like, hey, do you mind like coming on so I can talk about my book or talk about this? No one, no one helped me out. So it's really that kind of industry and everything that you think about it is true. Um, it's a very vacuous and inane existence for the overwhelming majority of people. And at least that's from one outsider's point of view from the inside. What were you trying to get out of Survivor? Like, what? how did you find out about this? What attracted <laughs> you to it? Okay. Um, kind of a long story, so sorry. but um, No, I want to so, hear it. All right. Well, I try to get, you know, I always want to do, this is a different universe. You have to think back to a 53-year-old guy when I'm young and 20 or something. I always want to become one of these medical talking heads on television, where it's, you know, exactly what I became, Dr. Sean Kniff, CBS News, wherever, right? So I want to become, but I didn't have, my dad's a New York City firefighter. My mom's a housewife. She's an Irish immigrant. I had no context on how to go and do that. So, but I pitched a show to MTV back in 1994, 93 called MDTV. Um, and it was going to deal with teen, I was 20, whatever it was, a doctor, 21. And I was going to, you know, talk about cutting and ecstasy and anorexia and bulimia and stuff like that, things that are germane to the 12 to 24 year old generation. And I got really far. I had a meeting with Nina Justman. We talked on the phone several times. She liked my pitch. Um, they hooked me up with um, this guy, Seth Jarrett, who was doing Cindy Crawford's House of Style at the time. He was a producer for Redhead Productions. Um, we, a funny story, one of the producers, my buddy Rob, we're still friends. 
Um, he came out to the house and they were producing at the time Beach House MTV. It's like, all right, Sean, we're, we're getting ready for a pilot, right? It's like, let's see what you look like uh, with your shirt off, you know, in New York accent. Let's see what you look like with your shirt because we might want to send you out to a fitness thing or a Beach House MTV. I take off my my shirt in my New York City apartment. It's like, it's like ah! Sean, you hamburger eating disaster. We got to get you in the gym. So, so that I worked out. I lost like 15 pounds. I cut up and uh, then the show never materialized. They, you know, and that's been the, 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 you know, they promise, 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 and then it goes away. And then MTV Productions put a show called Megadose Television on it, hosted by Colby Jones, who was a soccer player. Um, at the time. A nice guy, good looking kid, uh, but not a doctor. And it was basically my idea. So I, I let Nina Justman have it, burned that bridge pretty good. Um, and talking to them. But she said, you're not going to get on TV not being a celebrity. I got news for you. So, you know, that dream was been there. I always wanted to do that. And I didn't have a means to an end. So then I was working as an attending for like a year outside of my right. I finished up my neurology residency and working as an attending and my life was miserable. I was running from three different hospitals, working a hundred hours a week. Everyone thinks it's not possible. It is possible. I, I work, I still work 168 hours a week. I work one week, 24 seven for an entire week. And then I'm off for a week, which is this week. Um, that's my schedule. So I was working about a hundred hours a week. I'd lost a lot of weight. And I was like, you know what? Every minute that I spend doing this, my dreams of becoming a television doctor are slipping away or doing this or all these other creative weird stuff I want to do are slipping away. So I, I just came to notice at my job. I didn't have any plan. I was going to do Doctors Without Borders or I was going to do uh, something called Locum Tenens where you travel the country to impoverished neighborhoods and you work there or, or rural neighborhoods. So I was going to do that and then maybe start a column. You know, I got some good advice, start a column and take that column and shop it to magazines and then maybe do a video column or some kind of other column and then turn it into a TV show um, and start that way. And so that's what I had planned to do. So the day I gave notice to my my job, I went to my parents' house. I found a horoscope in that day that said, uh, it was Sydney Omar's, uh, I had it in my wallet, that's why I know. Sydney Omar's horoscope said, let go of encumbrances that, that hold you back needlessly, proceed in your own way. No, wait, uh, something like that. Something about use your imagination and creativity, proceed in your own way, don't let encumbrances hold you back needlessly. So I cut it out, put it in my pocket. I called my roommate, John, who was a neurosurgeon at University of Pennsylvania at the time. He was my roommate from med school. And he's like, you effing what? You quit your job? I was like, come down to Philly. Let's talk about it. So I jump on a train to Philly, going on the Acela train from New York to Philly. And I'm drinking in the beer car. I picked up a Time magazine. And I'm flipping through Time magazine. So on the backdrop of everything I did, and there was an article in there, A Star is Borneo, a column that they were looking for 16 ordinary Americans to try out for this new show called Survivor that they had planned. I ripped it out finished drinking another four beers or whatever it was, however long it took me to get to Philly. And got I forgot all about it. I stuck it in my back pocket. And then we were at a bar and I was commenting on how good looking all the uh, all the women are in the Philadelphia bar that we're at. As I said, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, oh, I found this thing. Maybe I'll try out for this show. And he's like, well, if you get on that show, I will throw you the biggest going away party. Um, and lo and behold, the interview after interview, I went from one thing to another to another. And next thing you know, I'm in LA waiting to go to Borneo and... That's how it all happened. It all kind of happened very quickly. Um, just And here's another piece of life advice. I listen, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are more successful than I've been in my life. But at the same time, it's like I've never, I don't internalize my failures. I've had a heck of a lot of them. But the other thing is that I take big, bold chances. 
and I don't weed myself out. So when I'm filming, I didn't have a video camera and that was one obstacle I had to overcome. Like, how, where am I gonna get a video camera? I'm by myself trying to shoot my tryout video and everyone, I'm thinking everyone's, I'm coming up with a thousand reasons not to do it. Everyone's gonna laugh at you. You're a doctor. Everyone's gonna, you know, like everything's gonna, you know, and they're like, you know what? Don't let that stand in your way, just do it. And thank God I did it. Thank God I didn't let any of that stuff stand in my way because I missed the, I would have missed the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, and uh, so I always just are very cognizant of that. You're going to have all these threshold guardians in life that are going to stand in the way of you and your goal. Just think of them as, as not roadblocks. I think of them as obstacles. You got to get around and get over and just keep pursuing what you want. Um, like how badly do you want it? And just do it. Don't whatever you do. There's so many people that are going to stand in your way. The last thing that you want to do is stand in your own way. And that could be from your own inertia. It could be from your own uh, lack of self-confidence or your self-doubt. We all struggle with all these things, but don't let that stand in your way. And I, I think the real difference between uh, being brave and acting brave is just a matter of perspective, right? I think everybody's afraid. Everyone's afraid of failure. Everyone's afraid of these things. And, you know, uh, being brave and just putting your fear aside and acting brave and faking it are actually the same thing, I think, for most people. So just, you know, if you have something you want to pursue, whatever you do, do not weed yourself out because you're going to encounter obstacle after obstacle and you're, it's going to be your job to smash through them. And if you're already self-defeating, you're never going to get there. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't let that. I remember thinking like, uh, this is going to be silly. I'm hitting the, I'm hitting back in the VHS days. I'm hitting the, I'm hitting the button. Then running back into my shower. I had a funny, you know, table. Like, I just spent the last 12 days in this shower, with these monkeys and this giant insect, whatever. So, you know, running back in. Then my friend Denise calls. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, you're never going to guess. And she has, a, she's a doctor also, also a weirdo. And she came over and helped me with the videotape. But at the same time, I was like, I was very close to weeding myself out about 10 or 15 times before I got everything in. So, yeah. That's some good advice uh, to the listeners. Sean, the, here's a question I have is, were you thinking at all when you got, when you saw that ad, were, were you thinking, okay, this could be, this looks kind of like the real world on, on an island? Because I know the real world had come out maybe seven yeah. or eight years before that. That was really the first reality show. Um, and if you watch the original real world seasons and the first season or two of Survivor, the, yeah. the tone, the editing, it's, it's eerily similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did. I, I had watched a little bit of the ear, uh, real world, rather, and so it was very similar. I don't think Mark had any contact with him. I don't even think that Mark Burnett was a fan of the show. He took more of a military approach to this shooting, but yeah. he's just a wicked smart guy, and that's why it was so compelling. Um, he's just a creative type, but also just you know, a genius. Genius in any realm, and that's what he is. Just a likable genius. Um, and um, so he did, you know, really... An amazing job. I don't know what kind of context, but I, I had context for the real world, but I didn't have any idea that that's what was really going on out there. It was a, I knew it was a contest. I kind of consider it more of like a game show maybe um, out there. And you don't think you're making any good television when you're out there because the days are very long. Um, so really he made uh, filet mignon out of mincemeat out there for, because uh, there's a lot of mincemeat out on, on all the outtakes for sure. But yeah, no, I, I didn't really know what to expect with Survivor. I really didn't. And when you come home and it's a Nation's Own One TV show, it was kind of shocking that, they, that you're on the cover of every magazine. And yeah, it was really kind of nutty, kind of crazy. Yeah. How much of the rules and the game did you understand or were explained to you before it started? 
A lot. I mean, they give you a whole big thing about what you can and can't do, what you can and can't eat. Um, there's no fighting, no violence, of course, stuff like that. They put you they put you through a lot of testing, including like a multiphasic Minnesota personality inventory, an MMPI, to make sure that if you're pretending to be a B word, that you are actually a B word. If you're pretending to be a nice guy, you are actually a nice guy. That way you're not going to hurt anybody or hurt yourself when you're out there. Um, so, <clears throat> sorry, my throat's drying up. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, it's they, you, you, I kind of knew what to expect. I didn't know there was going to be zero food. I'm like, they're going to feed us, but there was zero food. I came back six pounds lighter than I weighed in eighth grade, my eighth grade wrestling weight. It came back six <laughs> pounds lighter. So did you guys understand that it was going to be 16 strangers, two different tribes, vote people out every three days, and then there's going to be a jury at the end that picks who wins? Or were you figuring out most of this on the fly? I think we're figuring most of it out on the fly. I mean, some of the basic rules were set um, before we got there. I think we knew about the jury. We definitely knew 16 people. And of course, from the minute, I, well, I got a story to tell about trying out, but, uh, but yeah, you, we're, when we, when you, uh, I learned backtrack. So when we all try out, like now I'm one of like 80 people that they, that was selected for interviews in Los Angeles. So when you go to Los Angeles, there's all these like, things they put you through and you land in the, it was in Santa Monica and you're not allowed to talk to anybody. So you can't talk to even the desk people. You can't talk to hotel people. You can't talk to guests, other guests in the hotel. So you had all these young people there and it was like a loner convention. Like everyone's like lob <laughs> loitering in the lobby and we can't talk to each other. Like you're looking at people, you kind of see people look like I now in retrospect know that they were looking for cer certain archetypes or stereotypes. And I know who was like my surrogates there. You know, I know I saw a couple of people kind of look like me um so i know that they were probably vying for my position and didn't get it but there was other people like the guy had tattoos all over his body and he i saw him stiff the waitress uh money so i think that he was probably trying out for richard's job the villain you know what i mean so so but it's like a loner you can't say anything to anybody but they have all these like cool like little things they put you through i, I, I think i have an nda so i'm not allowed to say there's those like psychological tests which are really fun uh, I know I've told people over beers, so the NDA only goes so far, but I think in a public <laughs> venue like this, because they might still be doing the same interview techniques, and I don't want to violate. It's such a wonderful show with wonderful people in it. I wouldn't want to violate any of their confidence. But there was these so many. You and I over beer, I'll tell you a couple of stories that, that happened uh, uh, you know, during that interview process, which would just really be make your head spin. It's really, really <laughs> funny. But some of the stuff they put in is very creative. Like The interview process is very creative, some of the stuff they have have you do um and it's not i wouldn't say fun from the beginning but it's very weird and challenging from the very beginning and then the next thing you know you're on a, on a flight to borneo but you sign your life away you sign a big thick contract um with everything and um you know so there's some of the rules were explained but what was the question jack before i got lost in uh what would you want to know oh, i was wondering yeah. if you guys knew that you'd be voting people out and yeah, we knew that. Yeah, we knew that. And, but we thought there was also going to be only one winner. We didn't think anybody else would be getting any money. So I got voted off three days from the end. That was fifth place back then. Um, I was the last person standing against the Tagi Alliance. And um, I made 65000 for a month and a half of my life. So not a bad payday. Um, but, you know, everyone got denominations in between. But I was still operating right up until that moment. I was still operating the assumption that there's only $1 million winner. I didn't think there was any any money for anybody underneath that. Um, but you're not allowed to talk to the producers out there, you know, so you got to treat them like trees. So that was one thing that I can divulge, I think, that in reality TV, um, it, it, it felt a little plastic 
um, in the beginning because you're standing around. It's you. I'm talking. Let's say I'm talking to Jervis or Richard, and we're chatting quietly. And there's this guy holding a boom mic over you. Um, there is a camera in your face. And there's a producer standing next to the cameraman. And sooner or later, when you're instructed not to talk to them, like treat them like trees, sooner or later you realize that, that, you know, you can be pretty natural. Sooner or later, it felt like you're talking alone to Richard or whatever because you, you ignore them. But you should know that all reality TV, that 90% of it, I would say 80, 90% is producer driven. They're like the other element in the story. So they're paying attention and watching. And then like, uh, Sean, can you come talk to us over here in the bushes? And they take you all that. They set up a little reflector. There's no makeup or anything, but a little reflector give you a little bit of good lighting or something. And um, they shoot the camera. Then they ask you questions and you're told to paraphrase the questions they don't want like so you're not getting along with sue today right they don't want to hear uh uh they want to hear it right that's not a good sound but they want to hear oh sue's been on my ass all day and i don't know why yeah, they want to hear you paraphrase the question with your answer you know so um that's the one little tip they give you um in terms of that which was very helpful um but at the same time it's like it's a 90 percent so a lot of people ask me about the alphabet strategy like i knew that if i divulged my secret while i was voting in alphabetical order that the producers would go over to jenna and the reason i was voting alphabetical just in a nutshell was that a gave the appearance of being political neutrality which is what i needed to win at the jury at the end the young tribe, which was the Pagang tribe, was Jervis, Jenna, Colleen, Gretchen, and Greg. They were all at the front of the alphabet, whereas my tribe, the Alliance, Rich, Rudy, Sue, and Kelly, were all at the back end of the alphabet. This is after after the merge. So I got to vote for them before I had to vote for my team, and I get this appearance of being politically neutral. Hey, it's the name your mom gave you, you know? But I knew that if I told the producers why I was voting in alphabetical order, they wouldn't have gone over to Jenna or Colleen, and they would have been like, so do you think Sean's just being a nice guy voting in alphabetical order? Or do you think that it's because your whole tribe is at the front of the alphabet? And then they would have realized. Like, I, So I was wary enough that, that the producers would have... Um, would have maybe affected my plan. Not that it worked out. I mean, it was working for a while. It kept me safe anyway, which was the point. <laughs> I thought I was in a really good position. It got me to the final five. It was me against, you know, an older Rudy, who's a great guy, who subsequently has passed away. Um, rest in peace. Wonderful person. Kelly, who was, you know, jockish and kind of whatever, but I can outbeat Rich in physical stamina and Sue. You know, so I thought I was in really, I put myself in pretty good position using this strategy. So, um yeah, and it kept me politically neutral. I think it would have favored me had I made it to the finals without anyone knowing why I was voting it off of the quarter. But it didn't work out that way. And trust me, I would have screwed up my life. I was a young man with a million dollars. I would have screwed up my life. No <laughs> doubt about it. That's Big something I, th I thought about recently with this. There's this gigantic lottery. And I was like, I don't think I want that much money at this age. Just yeah. did someone give me that much money? No, no thanks. But well, I think I think that lottery is totally rigged. I don't play multi-state lotteries because I, I do not think I think I mean I did that time because like you know a billion and a half dollars dollars or something. Why I spent two bucks? But at the same time, I think it's all rigged. It's just tax collecting, right? The last one went to Chicago. This one went to California. Just you know collecting. That's a billion dollars. That's not a lot. A little bit of money. Like I have a sneaking suspicion this is just a way. It's a money grab. Extra tax is um at least that's my gut uh you know maybe play a local lottery that benefits your state directly if you have confidence in in your governance um but outside of that i i don't you know i don't play by and large but i always make just to get on sports which i again i know nothing about it always <laughs> amazes me that someone like shaquille o'neal right now i know no one's a perfect person but shaquille o'neal um seems like a pretty nice person nice enough guy 19 years old dominates the league whenever he got to the nba Dominic is like a star player. And at that level, at that age, how do you hold it together? I mean, to his credit, 
to stay out of trouble, to stay away from drugs, to not get hooked up with whatever, the, to make to make the right decision, even if that right decision is only putting the right people around you, um, even if that that's still is just a tremendous amount of wherewithal on behalf of Shaquille O'Neal that I know I did not have at his age. And I'm a board certified neurologist, you know, like <laughs> I definitely did not have that. I think a million dollars probably would have wrecked me at that point. That's a great point. Now back to the alphabet strategy. So yeah. you, this was all intentional. You had yeah. a plan behind it. You didn't, you did not want to verbalize that plan to anybody in production or anybody on the island. That's correct. That's a hundred percent. Not only that, I played stupid. I mean, to my detriment. I mean, listen, I am. I'm a hapless, happy-go-lucky guy. I think that's clear even in this interview. I don't have a bed bone in my body. But I don't have a conniving bone in my body. I'm not the right person for a survivor. Um, oh, that and just to circle back on why I never tried out again is even though they've asked me a couple of times, like it's never going to have the same effect for me personally. Right. I'm a married older guy. Like, no one wants to see me out there. I mean, I know some they try to convince like, oh, people are asking about you. People, you know, no one's really asking. About I don't really care. But at the same time, it's like, what's what's in it for me? Like, you know, I don't I'm not going to it's never going to be what it was. It's never going to hit what it was. So there's no real incentive for me to go out there. And I'm not going to be a hit for any. But no one's like really begging for me to go out there. Um so, yeah, so it's never going to be the same. But in terms of the alphabet strategy, I want to keep it to myself. And, you know, I, you, I, I do a lot of dumb, silly things, as, as we'll talk about. You guys will see how silly I can be. Um, but, um, but at the same time, I was just out there to have some fun. It was the first vacation I ever took in my life. But I also had to pay off medical student loans. My dad's a New York City firefighter, right? I, didn't, I had to mortgage my future to become a doctor. So I would have paid him off all in one fell swoop, which was the plan. And I was really trying to, you know, I didn't want to squander that opportunity. So I didn't know I was going to look stupid on there. I'm like, you know, I'm just throwing them like, oh, maybe this is going on. I was like, oh, I, I don't think there's an alliance, you know. And they air those. And, to, you know, to the community, once it's strung together, a bunch of making a bowling alley and do all the other dumb stuff I do in life, they're like, this guy's an idiot, you know, out there. He's, he's being an idiot. I was really thinking 100% out there. I was trying to win a million dollars. And part of trying to win a million dollars was acting stupid in front of the producers to not let on why I was voting in alphabetical order. And you're gathering information about other people from what production is asking you. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, I was. I, mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I was. It was like, I, mean, I remember one time just why Sue was mad at me. Was from the, when I was building that bowling alley, right? Because I go, like, oh, <laughs> Sue's mad at you. Why do you think Sue's mad at you? And I was like, Sue's mad at me? Like, you know, we always had like a younger brother, older sister relationship. I was like, she's mad at me? I didn't know she was mad at me. Like, I, I found out through that interview that Sue was mad at me, that I was on the rocks with Sue. Um, so, you know, yeah, you can glean information either directly or indirectly from what they're saying, but it was at least where with all enough that by the time I devised my alphabet strategy, I was like, I better not say this to anybody because it could get back to somebody. And <laughs> you, there's a lot of times where you guys say, Hey, we heard about the other tribe caught a rat or this, the other tribe did this. Was that from coming from the production too like um it must i mean yeah it must have i mean i don't know i think there was one or two appears like that like i heard they had fire or something like that where we didn't have fire you know so i think uh that must have come from production like you don't you don't um oh yeah so just to get back to like you know we had to treat them like trees you couldn't talk to them you couldn't really say anything to them and again in the beginning that felt a little plastic at least Mark Burnett felt that everyone felt a little plastic. So he relaxed the rules for like a little bit. Just like let them rely like you can engage a little bit with the with the production crew if you want. Not a lot, but you know, they'll say hey, good morning, stuff like that. Um, 
But then it started to be like they started to get a little too chummy, I believe. And then you know, Mark came down with the hammer again. That he's like, no, no, no. Now you got to get back to being trees. You know, everyone's getting a little too. You know, the men had been out there for a long time, and you know, there's no women around, and you know, and we have like scantily clad women running around. You know, so you know, things were getting a little. I think a little. You know, I, mean, I wouldn't say anything odd happened, but you know, but I think that Mark kind of felt like, all right, you know. The, Everyone's more comfortable now. Once everything was more comfortable, he laid down the law again. Right, they're back to being trees. You can't interact with them unless they're asking you a question. Did yeah. production play a factor in the boot of Stacy? No, I mean, as far as I know, no. I mean, like, and I know that became a big court case, and I like Stacy a lot. Um, but at the time, we were still competing as a team, and uh, I'm an ex-jock, you know. Like I said, uh, I'm, I'm, don't bounce a ball at me. Don't expect me to catch anything. But I could swim, I could box, and I could wrestle. And I didn't know if those skills would be needed. But Stacy was none of those things. Stacy wasn't physically robust, and it really came down. And Na Rudy was a Navy SEAL, and those are who were deciding: was it Rudy or going to be uh, Stacy? And Stacy just happened to be the one that I voted for because, you know, even though I liked her and listen, she was attractive. There was no reason for me to get rid of like someone that I mean, I didn't know it was going to be a love interest later on. I, you know, you know, as a guy, you're always thinking there could be you go to the supermarket thinking there could be a love interest there. So, you know, I wouldn't it was against my nature, maybe not have an attractive woman with me. But I really just made the decision based on just physical robustness, like who's more likely to help me in a challenge? Because my goal was to advance myself in the game and advancing myself involved advancing the team. And I thought that Stacy was more of a liability at that time than Rudy. Rudy was more of a personality liability because Stacy was a lot of fun. I got along with her well. Um, but Rudy and Rudy very much at the time we hadn't really warmed up to his cantankerousness at the time. But at the same time, it's like for me, my decision was purely based on just physical challenges lay ahead and who who are we more likely to go forward with. Um, at least that was my logic. But I know it became a thing, like a big conspiratorial thing. And as far as I know, that I mean. The best of my recollection in, in a legal deposition, that was not the case. And I'll stand by that 100%. Yeah. Very good. So for those who don't know, Stacy filed a lawsuit against CBS in early 2001, uh, alleging that her exit from the show was orchestrated by production because they wanted to save Rudy. Ru and Rudy ends up becoming this big fan favorite. And right. the lawsuit alleged that you and Dirk were the two people that they pulled aside and said, hey, keep Stacy here. And so you are saying that did not happen. You can confirm that no. that did not happen. Yeah, confirm it did not happen. I, mean, I think Dirk says otherwise, but I mean, but as far as I know, we're all starving out there. So yeah, I mean, that, could have, that could have involved someone else, but it did not involve you. No, no. But Dirk and I were good friends, still are good friends. He's a wonderful person. He's not a liar. So, uh, you know, I mean, his recollection, my recollection are two different things. Or maybe whatever speech was, I mean, we did talk on occasion to Mark and even Jeff Probst on occasion, um, but not often because he was hardly on the island. Um, so it wasn't very frequently that we had any interaction with them. And certainly I don't remember anything like that. And But again, Dirk is a, a, an entirely trustworthy human being. So, but again, you're out there starving. And, you know, at this point, you were probably on day, I don't know what day it was, but, you know, 10, 14, whatever it was, whenever she went home. Like, I don't, you know, I do not, and there wasn't enough time for Rudy to become a fan favorite. Like, there was no reason for me to hang on to Rudy. You know what I mean? Like, it's a kind of spurious logic that he had been a fan. The show hadn't even aired yet. So there wasn't a fan favorite, you know. Right. Uh, 
I, I didn't have any favoritism towards Rudy. You know, I, I liked him um, because I liked his service and what he gave to our country. I liked who he was. Um, but at the same time, it's like I didn't have any vested interest in keeping Rudy over Stacy, other than what I told you just for you know, to go forward. I mean, Rudy became a fan favorite because he's a spectacular human being, you know, longest serving enlisted man in military history, Navy SEAL, he ran the Navy SEALs. He petitioned Colin Powell to stay in service. He refused promotions just so he could stay as a, uh, I mean, I'm not a military guy, as he can stay as an enlisted man. But then after he became a certain age, he had a petition on an annual or semi-annual basis to stay in the service as an enlisted man. I mean, he's a real American hero. They don't make guys like him anymore. Um, but I mean, I liked him, but I also liked Stacy. But I mean, for me, my decision was based purely on what's going to make my likelihood of going forward better, and that was having Rudy on our side. You don't I know. Also, you don't know if they're going to be a not making competition, or is there going to be a knife whittling competition? I mean, who knows what Navy SEALs can do? But that was my logic, you know. Or a swimming competition at the time we hadn't swam or anything yet, you know. A Navy SEALs can presumably swim and hold their breath. Um, there was a lot of metrics that went into my decision. There was another rumor that. You might be able to, you might not even remember, but this involves Stacy as well, that they wanted to have you guys all for a uh, reunion show. But in your contracts, this was the rumor that I had heard that you were going to be on X number of episodes and they wanted you to basically do the reunion show for free. And she had pointed out as a legal person, no, you have to pay us for this reunion show. Do you remember any of that? Or I don't remember. I wasn't just happily. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was in New York, dismay. so it was easy for you. <laughs> yeah, much of my life's dismay. I've never ever been motivated by money, you know. So um, I make plenty of money. Thank God, God's always provided for me. Um, yeah, but you know, but at the same time, I've never chased it. You know, in the Bible, and not to get too biblical, it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money itself; it's the love of money. I've never loved money enough to you know to really care about it, and it's always been provided. I've always had enough. So God all power to God for that. But at the same time is, you know, I don't remember any of that. I would, if they, if they call me today, Sean, we're getting everybody back. You will know, we'll fly you out. They will put you up in a hotel. I'm not going to pay myself to go anywhere, but we'll put you in a hotel. You'll appear for free. Um, would you do it? I say, sure. I don't care. Like, what do I care? Uh, have, you know, anything to make my life interesting, get everyone back together. I'd be fine with that. So, but yeah, I mean, but, uh, it was a good opportunity for you guys. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it was yeah, why, why would you not want to be there? It doesn't make any sense. Like for what are you standard uh, industry standard four thousand dollars, three thousand. Like what's going to make or break you that you wouldn't want to be there on the nation's number one TV show? Like why wouldn't you want to be there? Doesn't make any sense, you know. Stacey's well, we a lawyer, can. you know, so they, they they know these things. I don't know. Sean, we can get biblical because you went there. My faith is the number one top priority in my in my life is my relationship yeah. with Jesus As a Christ. Christian, yeah. 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 Uh, has have you shared that faith your whole life? Was there a time in your life where faith became more important to you? Yeah, you know. All right, now I'm gonna really go there. Okay, so I was born Irish, born Irish Catholic. Um, you know, my parents, you know, made me go to church. We went to church. I've been confirmed, uh, uh, baptized in the Catholic Church. But you know, all the things that went down there. First of all, and again, this is I don't mean aspersions against any great priests that are out there. By any means, they're the they by far outnumber the bad priests. But I had priests with such inertia, like they just didn't inspire at all. And, you know, I went to church my whole youth, and I never once had an inspiring speech. And I do like the tradition, and I do like the ritualistic nature of Roman Catholicism. I liked it. I enjoy that. I enjoy it now. I don't go to Roman Catholic church. 
And then I became sort of an agnostic. And um, as an agnostic, I became more of a scientist, you know, that I, you know, it, it was hard for me to believe that some guys up there in a cloud with bolts of lightning in his hand, watching over your good deeds and my bad deeds. And I, I understand that that makes very little intuitive sense. Um, and so I was kind of an agnostic. And then if anybody, and I know speaking to a true Christian like you probably are, I mean, I, I'm, I try to be a good person. I'm a, I'm a really horrible Christian. I don't go to church much. I don't, I can't say a single Bible verse, not even the one from Pulp Fiction, you know, yay, if you walk through the valley, whatever, not even that one. I don't even know it. My wife is better with it, but I'm more Christian now. And here's how it happened. So I was driving down from New York to Miami where I was moving to. And after you pass a certain latitude or, or Mason Dixon line, you start hearing a lot more church on the AM radio as I'm driving. And so I started listening. Some of them were really good. So that was like the first creak in the door. Some of them were really good and inspirational. I was like, oh, that was really nice after listening for like an hour. That was good. That, that was meaningful to me. So I was kind of open to it. And then um, I was watching um, uh, Flip Around the Dolls. I was all by myself down here. My family's still up in New York. And uh, by myself, watching TV late at night. I was not in a low place. I'm a happy, effervescent guy. I've always had a great job. And, um, but I was by myself, so maybe the loneliness got to me. But I was flipping the dials, and I saw Joel Osteen, Pastor Joel Osteen from Lakewood Church. Um, and, you know, listen, Joel Osteen's like me. He's got this long mullet head, long mullet hair. You know, he's got this big Irish potato head looking thing. <laughs> Just not, you know, no offense to him. He's like a lovely guy. But, you know, I was like, you know, I stopped the dial only to hear my New York, my New York brain was saying, let me hear what this a-hole is saying. So I stopped it. <laughs> And I listened to him. I, God is my witness. It was as if everything that he said that day was immediately pertinent to my life and germane to my life in that one sermon he gave. I don't remember what it was about, but at the same time, it was a, not only germane, it was like immediately applicable. This is knowledge I needed at that moment. So I know that a lot of more serious Christians will cast aspersions on Joel Osteen for being the, you know, the, the, the gospel of what's a wealth or whatever it is, prosperity you know, the, gospel. Prosperity, prosperity gospel. That's the word I'm looking for. So I get that. I totally do. But I think they're really missing the point of Joel Osteen because I was a completely, I wouldn't say atheist. I was agnostic, kind of hoping for a God, but not really believing in a God and atheist, but I was more agnostic. And Joel Osteen was that turning point for me. He was that fulcrum. He was that little hook in the water that got me in the gills, you know, that, 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 that pulled me in. And now I've become a better person and a better Christian because of that. I still watch him from time to time. We go to a local church here from time to time. Like I said, I'm still a horrible Christian, but I am, you're not going to meet a more Sean, faithful person for anybody. Uh, so I don't want to proselytize. I'm not looking to convert anybody. God did not put me here for that reason. I was sitting at lunch with a, 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 just the other day with two of my residents. One's Hindu, one's Muslim. But when they ask me about my faith, I freely share it. And so when you talk about faith, like, I know it makes no sense that in scientific rationale that there's a guy, a man up there watching over you, your good deeds and my good deeds. But you don't have to understand it. God's ways are not your ways, right? We're human. We're not supposed to understand what gods can do. And looking for proof of a scientific sense is the opposite of faith, right? Faith is believing in something despite there being no logical or rational proof. Like that's the meaning of faith. So you can still have faith and not believe in it. But I made a scientific choice, as irrational as that sounds, to start believing again, much like a kid believes in Santa or, or, or the Easter Bunny. I made a scientific choice to believe in it. And here's how I got there is that after watching that Joel Osteen sermon, like, I felt better. It filled that whatever they call a God-shaped hole. I, I felt better by doing it. So I started thinking about God and religion, is that you know all human civilizations have believed in a God or gods, like every single human civilization. 
So maybe that's something innate. Maybe it's something we're born with. Like turtle hatchlings, when they hatch from the in the sands, they scurry towards the water because they know that's where their life is. Every human civilization has either, if you want to use the word invented, has had gods or, or worshiped gods. So worshiping gods seems to maybe be an innate human set point. Like that seems to be our what uh, an instinct, if you will. Why fight that instinct? And as someone who's been a former agnostic and close to atheist and a scientist, like I felt, even with that, I felt like I was always fighting the tide, like something was pulling me back. And I really felt that it's not easy to be agnostic. It's not. So I was like, you know what? As a doctor, if I had a pill that would make you, uh, you know, in your times of trouble, times of fear, times of sense, make you feel comforted, secured, protected, wouldn't you take that pill? Of course, religion does that for you. And if I had a pill that in times of happiness and success and prosperity, that it would keep you humble, wouldn't you take that pill, right? So I started thinking about it. I was like, of course I take the pill because I felt so much better after watching that one sermon of Joel Osteen. And so I was like, of course. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to start believing in God. I'm just going to just make a choice, make a sign that it's going to make me feel better. And, you know, in my times of stress, it's going to make, because I started talking to God again. I talked to God and still talked to God on my way to work. And I talked to God on my way home. And we share the same God. You know, I talked to Jesus. That's who I talk to. Or I like to call heaven's hippie. You know, that like I just, <laughs> so, you know, that's why I don't hate anybody. I don't care about anyone's political opinion. I just live my life. And I talk to Jesus on my way to, to and from work. That's what I do. Mm. And I pray for, it gives me a point to pray for people. It gives me a focal point of people who are still fresh in my mind. So, so that's, that's really the extent of my religion. And, you know, it's really weird. Even though I, as ludicrous as it sounds that there's some guy up there in a hat watching over you and the crown, you know, and, and that once you, like, started talking to God again, like, your life, I swear on my life, becomes testimony that there has to be somebody up there watching over you, yeah. protecting you, watching your missteps, uh, rewarding good deeds. Like, as, as ludicrous as that sounds, and I'll acknowledge it sounds ludicrous, like, my life has completely become testimony to that since I just started talking to God. And to give, like, I was super successful for all that. I'm not, any less. I'm not, you know, I'm not in the nation no more. This point of my to Sean, give you a you're cut. cutting out again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. you're back Are now. Are we back? All right. Yeah. So, but, you know, but your life will become testament once you make that decision. So let's move on from God, I guess, because God's <laughs> trying to trying to stop this, stop me from saying something I don't mean, I guess. God's chiming in. Either that or maybe it's Satan. Maybe it's the devil. Who knows? But still, you know, it's, it's something's trying to stop us. Well, yeah. here's a good uh, transition here. Yeah. So it's funny. We talked about Dirk. Dirk spoke at my church when I was a kid. Yeah. And I, I mean, it was in Winneka, Illinois, and I was in Sunday school, so I didn't get to see him. But I mean, yeah. again, this was how big you guys were, but yeah. also, you know, if you're talking about Dirk as a man of faith and, you know, a leader and a, yeah. a shepherd. Yeah, he was, uh, he spoke at our church. He's the best that humanity has to offer, no doubt about it. He's a good person, no doubt. So, um, you know, uh, I know that our depositions kind of went in different directions, but at least I'm told. I haven't seen his, but, but you know, again, he could not be a better, nicer person. I mean, you know, he's the best that humanity has right there. Uh, what were your, what were some of the things that you guys did to pass the time that we just didn't see on TV? Like what are, what are some of the cool stuff that nothing, like, nothing is deadly boring. You get up there, you, you know, you got to go into the jungle. You got to find water. That's like an hour trek. Like in the trek to tribal council is like two hours through the jungle. It is not like around the corner and there's a set there. Like you trek through the jungle for like two hours at night. 
it's horrible. And then you wait there once you get there till all the cameras are set up and uh, horrible. It's a lot of downtime. And, you know, you sleep, you wake up, you go hunting for food, um, you're building your thing, you're constantly working on your lean-to or whatever to keep it upright. Um, just a lot of downtime like that, looking for food, looking for firewood. Um, that's all that it is. And so that's why I built the bowling alley because, like, no one's having any fun out there. It's three days. I was like, listen, we got coconuts. We have bamboo. We just got to be able to chop them into make pins, and then we can at least play a game, you know, and – I got my head handed to me for trying to have some fun out there. But <laughs> by still, Sue, probably, right? By Sue and Richard, everyone. But meanwhile, like, I, I was definitely one of the hardest workers out there. I, I, I did so much work. I did collected firewood. I helped build the lean-to. I struggled to make fire. Like, I was not lazy. I don't have a lazy bone in my body. Um, and, uh, you know, so what? I was working really hard on making a bowling alley. I think we all would have had fun if they would have let me finish it. But, you know, I figured staying on the aisles is more important than bowling a few uh, frames. So I gave up on my dream. Did they ever ask you guys to reshoot conversations? Like I've heard about this never. from people. Never. Never. So never. They never not. like didn't, they caught everything as it happened or was there any time like, Oh shoot, we missed that. We'd like you guys to redo that conversation. Um, there was one thing where that happened to me. My only personal experience with this is that one time I was explaining something. I have a lot of weird thoughts and do a lot of weird things like I've told you and we'll touch upon a little bit on that before we leave. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I was explaining one of my weird theories on something, why civilization has become extinct. And I just started and I drew something in the sand and I guess one of the crew came over and Jervis was probably like, like, like looking at like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You know, something <laughs> made some kind of face. And then they said, well, I just started. So the cameras weren't there. I was like, can you start again? You know, and I started again. I was maybe 40 seconds into the spiel that I was in. I don't know. Um, but they, that never aired. So, but that was the only, so to say that it, it does happen, it might happen. That is not the norm. Um, like I said, that segment might not have aired because they did reshoot it for all I know. Uh, maybe they don't do it, but that is not, that it was not the norm out there. Everything was pretty improvisational and up right up to the minute. Um, you know, I never saw anything get reshot. Sometimes like the walk down the beach would get reshot. Like, okay, guys, stay there, stay there. And then we'd start walking. Like, no, 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 go back, go back. Okay. Now start walking. Like that, that stuff. I mean, that's all production that happens, but I've never seen anything like, wait, wait, you guys are fighting. Start fighting all over again. Like, that, that never happened, you know? So nothing like that. There's one scene. I, the only part of the reason why I asked that was there's, uh, Sue and Kelly have an argument and the way that it's shot on TV looks like it's a reenactment or maybe it's just heavily edited because we're only seeing little clips of the conversation, obviously, because the conversations go on much longer. Yeah, but the yeah. way it, it does seem like it's the only thing in the whole season where I'm like, oh, that kind of looks like they said, hey, can you guys do this again? Which, by the way, was that was that after I got voted off? It, it could like have been. been. Yeah, it, it may have been, been right after. Because, yeah. you know, I'm an honest person. Like, I definitely would, you know, like, I would have been yeah. like, this isn't right. You know, or you might, I mean, you might not have been there when it happened. You could yeah. have been on out at, on the water or doing something. I, mean, I, I wouldn't have overstepped the bread. I mean, we're making a TV show. I'm not like, let me produce the show. I wouldn't have done that. But I would have been like, <laughs> like this. I would, I, I would tell you if I saw that. But, I mean, I definitely didn't. So it might have occurred after me. Not say it wouldn't have. But, I mean, I definitely, yeah. in the 36 days that I was in, it was a 39-day contest. I got voted off on day 36. I saw nothing like that. Yeah. Why didn't anyone else form an alliance and play the way that the Tagi Four played? I don't have any idea. You know, 
I don't have any idea. I mean, I didn't want to. I want to maintain political neutrality. I made a conscious decision, but I was fully aware of the alliance. I mean, despite what I was saying, I was fully aware. Um, it was not a secret. Um, you know, amongst our tribe, it wasn't a secret. And I, you know, I felt that it bettered me to have them voting in block until they were coming for me, let them vote for the other people. And I'm still going to stay politically neutral. So I didn't have any vested interest in letting the, and they're all friends, my Jerris, Jenna, Colleen, Gretchen, Greg, we stay in touch, you know? Um, I didn't have any vested interest in letting them know. I, you know, I had medical school loans to pay off, so. Was it, do you think it could have been part of the ethics and also how you might look on TV? Do you think people were kind of- Well, for me, that for me, that definitely was part of it. I couldn't go out there and act like a dirtbag. I mean, I can go out there and act silly. And listen, in terms of, I am a silly person. And you're gonna see, you know, I I got a lot of <laughs> wonderful love mail after Survivor Bus, I got some hate mail. Um, so, you know, listen, yeah, I'm a smart person and I was doing my best out there the whole time. But any given one of us, there's a camera in your face 24 hours a day. You're going to have your moments of genius today and you're going to have your moments of complete idiocy today. And that's just human nature. That's what's going to happen. And it's all what the producers want to string together for you. They can either make you look like a complete boob or they can make you look like the smartest man on the, on the earth. So, you know, that's and that's what it was. You know, listen, I am a dorky yuppie, right? I, even though I'm a doctor, I made it you know, on, you know, the nation's number one TV show. I was there, I thought I was there to be like the cool young hip doctor. And I was there as like the dorky yuppie useless out in the jungle. And I, but I fit that bill. That's what I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a clever guy. I'm a smart guy. I'm a really good doctor, but I'm useless with bamboo. I'm useless out in the jungle. I don't know how to start fire. I'm very good with textbook smart, not good with, I'm very naive with a lot of things. So I filled a role for them that they were happen to be looking for probably just by my nature. Um, and that's true. You know, and I, listen, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you're having a very humorless life. And I think we should all laugh at ourselves. So I can laugh at myself. It takes a lot of thick skin to have people on national TV call you a loser and, and have them call you what an idiot and stuff like that. But at the same time as you know, I have fortunately very thick skin and um, yeah, I made it through. But, uh, but at the same time, as you know, I, I knew what I was doing out there. And, and like I said, I was just trying to have some fun and change up my life a little bit. So did that, did that have any kind of impact on you, the negative reaction? Yeah, I mean, it did. You know, it certainly did. It, uh, you know, but like I said, you got to have thick skin for anything. And fortunately, my dad, you know, was, uh, you know he instilled me this, like, they can't, there's some kind of saying on my own that you can't be beat if you don't retreat. Um, you know, just my dad always had a saying, just pick up the pieces and be a winner, you know? And like, that's, it's not, it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't do anything. There's nothing catchy about it, but that's a, that's a great rule in life to live in. Just pick up the pieces and be a winner. You're a winner. So yes, I know your life's in shambles right now, but pick up the pieces and be a winner. And that's all it is. If you just remember that in the back of your head, every time you fail, because God knows I fail all the time, <laughs> just pick up the pieces and be a winner. You know, the world's for you are taken. It's your world. It's your ride. You know, go be the star. Did you watch? Did you, how long did you keep watching Survivor after that? Did you watch um, up till Rupert's Rupert's first year? So that's only like Survivor four or something like that. I forget. And after that, I, yeah, whatever. I lost touch with that. I just couldn't keep it going. And then I fell in love with The Bachelor. I loved watching The Bachelor for a while because I have a wife, and so we got really to that for a while. Now we're a ninety-eight day fiance. <laughs> or 90 Day Fiance, rather. So we watch that all the time. That's the greatest train wreck ever made on television. So we watch that. But, you know, I, I don't really watch it. But, again, it's nothing against Survivor because, I mean, I, I'm so eternally grateful to Survivor, the whole crew, starting with Mark and Jeff. Um, I know the show's changed a lot, and a lot of the purists wanted to go back the way it was. 
Um, but you know, you got to change things up. You got to make it fresh. You got to make it new. I understand that need in television. Otherwise, you, you know, no. Otherwise, the show would have been over a long time ago if they didn't innovate. So. Um, you know, it's still in the top 10, I think. It's still making it every week. It's still in the top 10, which is incredible. Uh, but like I said, just know if you're a, a fan of the show, the people at the top of that show could not be better people. I mean, they, I know that so many people are like, oh, he's an idiot. These people, that, Jeff this and that person that. I know those people personally. Um, they're good people. Um, they did their best to make a great show, and they really believe in the show. They believe in what they're doing, and uh, I think at the end of the day, they're trying to make good television for everybody. Um, and uh, the world is changing underneath their feet, so you got those shifting sands to try to take, keep your balance on. The universe is changing. The electronic universe, everything's changing underneath their feet. And to have fans be like, oh, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Because I know there's a lot of animus, particularly for the last season. Uh, but at the same time, it's like they're shifting sands on every single landscape that television show is standing on. You know, what do you expect them to do? You, know, you keep playing the old same game. You're going to lose more people than gain for sure. Um, but yeah, just rest assured that there's good, smart people. Uh, Mark Burnett's probably one of my favorite people I've ever met in my life. Jeff Probst, also a good person. Um, yeah, so just know that when you're uh, watching the show um, with your viewership, you're probably sponsoring some pretty good people. Yeah, I also don't – I stopped watching probably a couple of years ago. I just didn't come back after COVID. But I did watch the first 40 seasons. I do think that around the time you stopped watching – like up through that point, I think is the golden era of the show. I think it was just um, part of the thing was is the what I think is so fascinating is the ethical like this when you guys played, there were all these psychologists that were writing studies and doing stuff on this show saying like this is going to mess people up. They're yeah. building this community and they're being kicked out of the community and society. And I think that kind of like you know is it ethical to be in an alliance is it ethical to gang up and vote people out and i think once once everyone figured out how to play it turned into an entirely different show for better or yeah. for worse and that version of the show i kept i watched for a really long time um and that's the show that's the version of the show some people prefer for me i love just that kind of we're going to take 16 everyday people and they're going to go on this adventure together and they're going to build something together and that yeah. was what attracted me to it. Yeah, no, it was great. That's why I got on the show. I was like, this sounds really fun. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's just been uh, great. You know, and like I said, they, you know, kudos to them for keeping it going. I can't believe it's still on the air, but you know, I'm not judging the show. I'm just saying to, you know, yeah. as someone who's been in Hollywood and, you know, the, you know, once you're, there's this saying that out there that success is a stale finale. Again, not my saying. And once you get up to the nation's number TV show, you're like, oh, this is all it is. Like, I'm telling you, like, that's really true. Like, oh, this is what it is. Oh, this is what the behind the velvet rope is. This is what these Hollywood parties are. And, you know, it, it is a little stale. And so once you get there, and then the road to ruin, I mean, think about like, you know, people who are up at the top of their game, like from Katie Couric or actors or whatever, like you're hot one day, you're not there the next. Like it's a very precarious business. And, you know, while the road to success in that business is very much filled with detours and obstacles, but once you're at the top, like it's an express lane on the way down, man. And you're going to hit a lot of hard shit 
way down that mountain. You're going to hit corners and twigs and stems and, you know, so it's hard. So anyone that stays at the top of that industry, whether you're talking about like Madonna or whoever, like people who managed to stay at the top, that did not come easy. Whether you're Brad Pitt, Madonna, uh, Ben Stiller, whoever, whoever your favorite person would be to stay that relevant for that long is a near impossibility um, because as you can see, most people from reality TV, like they spark for a little bit, they woof, they go right out, spark, and then they go right out. And uh, that's how it is for most TV stars, whether they're actors, whatever, they get one hit roll and they're out and then they're done. Then and they do anything else after that, there has been, you know, what? Are, just go away right? you had your moments, you had your 15 minutes, get out of here. Like America hates you, go away. <laughs> Notable exception, maybe Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you know, she's back <laughs> in several iterations and I love her and everyone. But at the same time is like, you know, for most people, um, you know, it's like a flash in the pan and then you're gone. And which is a, it's a bad thing to aspire to. If there's anyone listening that is like, Oh, I want to be a, uh, you know, a movie star. I want to be this, just know that statistically speaking, you're highly likely to be a flash in the pan, even if you do become successful and then you'll be reviled for the rest of your life if you do anything else. So, uh, I remember when I was being asked after when survivor two was on, we were commenting on the show. And E! Entertainment Television asked me to come on with Jervis, Joel, whoever, and, and analyze this, which I was watching, you know, the second set. But then after a while, I kind of felt like, what am I doing here? You know, like, no one wants to see me analyze and say, and reanalyze this game. I'm a, I'm a has-been. And, you know, it's their time to shine. I don't want to be in the limelight for Survivor anymore. I want to be in the limelight for other things I want to do. I don't want to be in the limelight, you know, i got other plans. I don't want to do that, you know, and I felt like I was being really used and I felt like I was also using the system. It wasn't a good feeling. Like, here I am. Remember me, Sean from whatever. And here's what I think is going on in the show. Like, I didn't like any of that. And it made me feel cheap. And, you know, I, I think we all know what feeling that is. And I didn't like it. And fortunately, I had the wherewithal to get out when I did. Mm. And that's when I, you know, again, I was doing CBS News at the time. I had a lengthy TV career after that. Um, still kind of on the cusp of but yeah, but I mean, so, you know, I've got a lot of fun things to do in my life. I don't want it to all, I don't want to be a one trick pony. We all had Wikipedia pages. It's like the world's been at war with me this year. <laughs> we all had Wikipedia pages up until recently. And then the Wikipedia editors took them down. I'm like, wait a minute. I've published three books. I was a CBS Network correspondent. I did all this stuff in my life. And my book one was read by, you know, uh, reviewed by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, won a Nobel Prize, and Jay Goodall. I'm a doctor. I do a lot of like, great things in my life. I invented the jerk at work, which we'll talk about. I do yeah. like, all these weird, interesting things, and they're going to take down my Wikipedia page? Like, no, sorry, you're always going to be a social Wikipedia. And someone who came to my defense in the, in the editorial discussion was like, well, wait a minute. Survivor was the number one TV show, and I had that year more than 100,000 hits on my Wikipedia page. Just being me, being a has-been from Survivor, more than 100,000 hits on my Wikipedia page. Uh, or maybe it was even the last month. I forget what the argument was. Something like astronomical, just because I was on Survivor. But meanwhile, the person who was like the Olympic 1914 skeet shooter will still have a, a page, uh, even though he's had five hits in the last like 50 years or something. You know what I mean? Like, or or since the internet's been uh, invented, so they would make an argument like, we should, of course, we should transition all these uh, at least the original series of the reality players to a, a Wikipedia page, but they took them down and you know what wikipedia was probably doing me more good than more bad than good at some point 
um, because now people would always associate me with a survivor, not my neurological work. Now when people Google me, they get my books, they get my neurology, they get all the stuff that really matters in life. They see pictures of me and my kids. Like they don't, they don't get the alphabet strategy necessarily and survivor, you know? So um, everything in my life has happened for a reason. Like we talked about when we talked about faith. So I said, you know what, yeah. if it, I, my last word to the editors when they were going back and forth, I don't think anyone else contested it. But my last word was like, listen, a general rule in life, if it feels wrong, it probably is wrong. And there's not a doubt in my mind that this feels wrong to the majority of you people. You're just being spiteful of Wikipedia editors for whatever jealousy or whatever they might have. And if it feels wrong, it probably is wrong. But, you know, I have a nice life. In the end, this is going to work out to my advantage, not to my detriment. So take, please take my Wikipedia page off. And they did. So, you know. Right. I got one more survivor question. We can yeah. talk some of the other fun stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, so you were a member of the first jury, and yeah. it was a very close vote. It was 4-3. Richard won. And obviously, if you had swung the other way, the outcome would have been different. How did yeah. you and the rest of the jury members arrive at that decision? Why did Richard win? Yeah, well, I mean, I, to me, it was... I'm a fair play type of guy. I like Kelly, but you know, Kelly really, and I don't think she likes me much anymore, obviously for some reason, but still, but she doesn't really talk to many of us and you know, she's a bit bitter. I mean, I, I can't imagine why, um, but I, you know, at the same time as when I think Kelly's nice, we got along, but she was not the fulcrum of that team at all. Like she was, she didn't invent the Alliance. She wasn't the best wood collector. She wasn't the best food provider. She wasn't the craftiest player. She hung on and, you know, to her credit, she hung on. Um, but at the same time, she didn't really earn it there. And Richard, let me tell you, he's a friend of mine. We still talk occasionally, very occasionally, like once a year, every couple of years. But, you know, I went to visit him in Rhode Island after he won the million dollars. I was working for the TV show Extra, and I, I saw him put the money in the bank. Um, he is exactly what you think he is. I mean, he's annoying and despicable in some ways, but he wears it on his shirt, on his sleeve. He's like, yeah, I'm a horrible human being. Isn't that great? You know, he, he doesn't care, you know? And think about the mental gymnastics that someone like that had to go through to get to where he got to where he got to. And that's what I, that was my decision making. I was like, that guy is so freaking annoying. Just, and he, he, he crafted the whole show. And it's like, and think about the mental gymnastics that that it took for him to get there, that he absolutely earned it. Whereas Kelly, I didn't think so. I liked Kelly better maybe at that time as a human being, but you know, Richard definitely earned it. And I don't believe in you know uh, awarding someone who hasn't earned something. And I also don't believe in depriving something of their rightful due when they've earned it. And Richard clearly earned it. And that was, that was my logic behind it. Awesome. Well, Sean, you have hinted at it for the past hour and a half. Yeah. You've got a lot of cool, fun stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, if anyone's still hanging on and listening this far, I mean, I doubt it. Oh, everyone is. You kidding me? Yeah. Come on. I, li I listen to a podcast for like the first 15 minutes. I get to work and then I'm done. Um, but well, hey, uh, you're yeah, Gen X. That's Gen X. Yeah. Us yeah. millennials will listen to the whole thing. I hope so. I'm a full-fledged weirdo, first and foremost, which a lot of people may not know about me because I'm kind of responsible in my day life. But I've always been weird. Like I told you, I try to get on MTV. I'm a former boxer wrestler. I've, uh, I've always done weird things my entire life. And so um, I continue to do weird things. So the one thing that I want everyone to know about right now, probably first and foremost, is the jerk at work. I don't have a doll yes. because I haven't been able to make it, but the jerk at work, if you go oh. to the jerk, go to the jerk at work.com. It's a wonderful product. Okay. Go to the jerk at work. I'm going to order one, by the way, Sean, I'm buying right one. Ahead. I need right, it send you one. wall here. I need it. Well, definitely. I'll send you one. I'll send you one. Jack. Awesome. Um, so listen to this story. This is like a total Sean Kniff story. So I'm on my <laughs> way to work in 2019 
2018, and I'm working Christmas. Now, mind you, I work in a neurology office that has a lot of Jewish doctors, a lot of I'm the only Christian there. Uh, I have a, a few Muslim partners, a few, uh, you know, uh, Christian, but also that the kids are older, and I have little kids, and I'm working Christmas, and it's a skeleton scap in the holidays. I'm like, why am I working Christmas? I feel like I'm the only jerk at work. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to invent a, a doll like the elf on the shelf, but called the jerk at work. And here's a lot of it. The, 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 the elf on the shelf is not a real magical elf, but the kids think it is, right? It's a magical elf, and it's one of Santa's helpers. It goes back to, uh, it goes back to the North Pole at night, tells Santa whether or not the kids are good or bad. That's not the jerk at work. The jerk at work is an actual doll. There's no fable behind it. But he's upset that he's working during the holiday season, like I was, so he decides to pull pranks on his coworkers. So imagine going to the break room, and there's Christmas cookies out there, and you bite into it, and there's toothpaste on it instead of the icing. And sitting right there, it's the jerk at work. Or you go to the bathroom, and you find out that all the toilet paper has been taken away, and duct tape is in its place and it's the jerk at work holding a sign that says this is going to get sticky so you know it's all a prank thing that you pass around the office during the holiday season as a holiday hot potato kind of a it's like for people on the santa's naughty list for something to have fun with during the holiday season i made some improvements on the elf on the shelf it's about the size of the elf but um he's posable so he can hold anything any uh any pose you want and there's like limitless pranks you can do with it in the office so we made a really funny infomercial i i i designed the doll myself i prototyped it myself i searched source manufacturers over in china myself i designed the packaging myself i found i sourced packaging overseas i patented it myself i trademarked it myself i wrote the comic book and hired a comic book uh a comic maker to write it and then i i uh, uh copyright wrote that I sourced uh, warehousing over here in the United States of America. All that is like the learning. It makes you wonder, how does a toaster even get invented, right? I did all that stuff. We didn't get, so I started in 2018. I didn't even get my prototype till after the holidays in 2019. It's a heck of a lot of work. So I was like, okay, 2020 is going to be my year. 2020 vision, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be great. I'm going to launch in 2020, follow my TV contacts and all this other stuff. And... Um, I have the doll sitting in a warehouse. 2020 comes St. Patrick's Day around that area, March or something. The whole universe shuts down because of COVID. And with it, all the earthly offices and workplaces, this is a doll for the job, for the workplace. And everything shuts down. Everything shuts down. So I had no market. So I waited. I thought about launching last year. So I waited out 2020. Almost got it on Shark Tank. Uh, that's another story. I have an NDA about that. But uh, but also got it on oh, Shark Tank. Okay. So I have an NDA. I can't really say anything about that. But it's still... Yeah. Well, anyway, I have an NDA. I can't say. But anyway, so um, so uh, that was 2020. 2021 um, comes around. Only eight percent of the American workforce is back. So I'm like, all right, I gotta wait out another year. The whole time I'm holding these things in the in the in the warehouse. So now's my year. So I beg everyone to please go to uh, thejerkatwork.com. Don't go to jerkatwork.com because that might be a different kind of website. Okay, so, <laughs> so go to thejerkatwork.com, all right? And you can see our funny infomercial there. We have a great YouTube, not a great channel, but we have a great infomercial on our YouTube Yeah, the infomercial is hilarious. It's great. Yeah, with a number one hit on both of them, okay? So um, so if you just type in Google the Jerk at Work, you'll get our videos and you'll get our, uh, our website. And order a jerk at work and start having fun at work. I'd really appreciate if you do. You're supporting a good person. Um, and uh, like I said, I worked really hard on it. Every aspect of that doll was me. It's my do or die year. 
Um, and so if you're a Survivor fan or if you like me or if I don't turn your stomach, please just order one and start having fun. Um, so that uh, I did and I worked really hard. I, like I do my homework. I worked really hard. It's a great product. My, every time I'm in Target, like my boxes are nicer than anything else they have on the shelves. Like I have you know, a nicer packaging, nicer doll, better quality doll than anybody else. I think you'll be really impressed with the job that I did with it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's on Amazon. You can buy PayPal. You can buy any way you want. Everything's secure. And uh, like I said, everyone's going to be very happy with it. And I, I'd appreciate the support. And then I also do, like, all other crazy things. Like, I, uh, you know, the movies. Wait, wait, wait. Me- wait, wait. We got to pause on the jerk at work. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool. I saw the – I didn't know about it until – you and I got in contact recently and I saw your Twitter account like a week ago and I, I watched it. I'm like, this is a cool thing. This is fun. So you guys yeah. like, do you guys, is that part of your culture at work? Do you guys like pull pranks on each other for fun? No, I mean, I did before I in TV station. Yeah, but not, not, you know, it's too much of a serious. I mean, I deal with brain tumors. I'm dealing with, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it bleeds in the brain. It's, and I, I don't have a, you know, I work one week, 168 hours, and then I'm off for a week. So my work weeks yeah. are, I mean, I don't have a minute to spare. It's all brain power all the time, and there's no laughing. And then, you know, then, you know, then I live my wildlife on the side. So, yeah, but no, but when I was at the TV station, yeah, I mean, we put pranks and stuff like that on each other all the time. It's fun. And like I said, it's not, it, you know, it, it's not that I have a trajectory for this. I see, you know, big jerk on campus with the college T-shirts at some point, you know, in frat houses. Yeah. And I see, um, you know, a, a, an April Fool's jerk at some point. I see Valentine's jerks, wedding jerks. You know, there's a whole big industry, I think, that can be exploitable. And then accessories for all that. But right now, it's just the jerk at work. And, like, I designed the logo. I mean, there's not an aspect of that thing that I did not design. Um, myself and like i said it's doing well it's okay but this is my one year to blast it out we're one month away from christmas it's selling but you know, i'd like to sell through my inventory otherwise i can't really justify going through it again I, you know i don't have far to go through my inventory but still i can't justify waiting another year on it um i just can't so this is the year so i appreciate any support that you and your viewers would have yeah, I appreciate being here, being able to talk about it. So I oh. think you guys, I think everyone who, even if someone who hates me, is all like, like I said, that kind of kid's pretty cool. He invented something really fun here. It's really, it's really quite something. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm gonna get one. Everyone should support Sean. Mm-hmm. Guys, check it out. Thejerkatwork.com. Right, that's the website. Yeah, the Jerk at Work. Yeah, yep. Jerk at Work. Yeah. The Jerk at Work. Right. Com. Guys, check it out. Uh, yes, and you've written some books as well, Sean. Yeah, so you know, back in 2010, when I lost my job at CBS, imagine like I, I was like working as a doctor and also doing my producer. I wrote, produced everything for CBS News all by myself. I interpreted statistics for them. And I show up one day, and my job's eliminated. I felt like I was a cow. This is where people lost their homes, lost their jobs, or 2009, 2010. So I went to live with cows out uh, in the South Florida area for 40 days. And I wrote a book about it called Petra the Cow. And that was the one that was reviewed by Jane Goodall, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, did very well. Um, so that was fun. Um, but I also write, and then like, I was gonna tell you, like, I'm just a crazy person, you know? So I, um, I pitched uh, a, a movie, it always bothered me in backtrack that I, I'm a big fan of Meet the Parents, the movie Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, and then Little Fockers. I thought Little Fockers were good, even though that was panned. I thought it was all good. But I'm a big fan of Ben Stiller in general. So I thought, but I always thought that they they blew it by never making Fockers Without Borders, okay? A movie where, if you know the layout, like Greg Fockers, a nurse, 
you know, Ben Stiller's a nurse and his father-in-law is Robert De Niro. He's a CIA spy. So the international intrigue is there. How did they miss the ball to not write Fockers Without Borders, where Greg, there's an earthquake in Papua New Guinea. Greg goes over there to do some good, you know, Greg Fokker. And then Jack gets mixed up in some international intrigue. Like, how do you miss that opportunity? So I wrote the script Fockers Without Borders during the COVID pandemic just to do it. I got it in everybody's hands. I have not heard back from Ben Stiller or Barry Welsh, the producer of the first one. I think they think I'm an a-hole. Um, I haven't heard back from, uh, you know, Jay Roche, who also produced it. I did hear back from Jim Hertzfeld, who wrote Meet the Parents, and he kindly forwarded it to somebody else. But a bunch of people in the industry have it. And, you know, I think it's a missed opportunity. I think it's great. I posted it on Facebook, so it's like open source. Uh, you can, uh, you know, take a read. We wrote something really good and nice, I think. My next plan... Like I said, I'm a crazy person. I also paint. Like I snuck into the Banksy exhibit and I put some of my own paintings in there. I do weird stuff. So <laughs> my next plan is I'm going to take my script. I'm going to put the Fockers Without Borders, put it in pizza boxes and just get it to Tribeca Film who produced them. Uh, so I'm going to put it underneath <laughs> the pizza. I'm going to have a custom pizza box called Trojan Horse Pizza. And I'm going to get some complicit pizza hut place manager up in New York to deliver them for me with my script underneath the pizza. So, uh, that's what I'm going to do next to make sure that they get it. Why not? Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, what, what do I care? Right. So I'm going to do it. Sean, you watch, uh, have you ever seen it's yeah. always sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah. I've seen it once or twice. Okay. That sounds like one of their schemes that they would come up with. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> schemes. I'm a scheming guy. So my latest scheme, which actually has some traction. Some people are looking at it right now is that I wanted to make a sitcom. I always said like, I want to make a sitcom about TED Talks, but um, Brody Miller, that's the main character, is a down on his lower. He's out of a job. Out of his wife kicks house. Self-improving daily TED Talks. That's the log line for the show, right? So imagine it's like Seinfeld. You know, Seinfeld has a little stand-up comedy, then it goes to the sitcom, then coming out of break, it's a stand-up comedy, what they call cold opens in the business. So the cold open is is the, the TED Talk, you know, that is, a, and the TED Talk I used was Tim Urban's Procrastination TED Talk, which if you've never watched it, you have to watch it. Tim Urban, TED Talk, Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator. It's excellent. It's life-changing. So, but, you know, it has a little bit from Tim Urban, and then it goes to Brody Miller, and then a little bit from Tim Urban, and then it goes to Brody Miller, you know. So the cold opens are, are, the, are the TED Talk, and all about this guy, Brody Miller, who's trying to improve his life, and how it kind of comes together in a very... Curb Your Enthusiasm meets, um, what was that Indian movie where the guy won? Uh, won oh, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. And a Slumdog Millionaire has kind of elements of Slumdog Millionaire. That things kind of go right through no initiative of his own, you know? Um, so it, kind of, it was very funny. I have a couple of bites from Hollywood agents. I called Chris Anderson already, left a message. He's the head of uh, TED Talks, CEO of TED Talks. Um, but I have it right here. Here's my script. But you might be seeing this, hopefully, if all goes well according to my scheme. But here you can see. Corrected. That's the name of Ooh, it. So, awesome. So, yeah, it's like have fun with life. I just like to do fun, yeah. weird things. So that's one of the weird things I'm doing. And like I said, I paint and I do a lot of other stuff in my spare time on my weeks off. But this is the only ride we got. You know, it's, it's you got to make it interesting. You got to make it fun. So hopefully you'll be seeing in the future Fockers Without Borders. Otherwise, to get their attention, if the pizza doesn't do it, I'm just going to put it on Amazon as a book. You know, and I'll, I can't charge for it because it's not my IP. Um, and uh, so it'll be free, but any proceeds, I'll ask for donations, will go to the benefit, uh, you know, uh, one of Ben Stiller's or De Niro's charities or something. So if they don't hear from me, I'll put it up there. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. And I have a heck of a lot of will. So uh, you ever make, meet either of those guys back when you were uh, on that ride? No. 
Never, never, never. Not even De Niro. And I ate a Nobu a bunch of times in New York, but never met him. Never met him. But, you know, listen, my Sean from Survivor doesn't open any doors. I did maybe a little bit for a little brief time, but doesn't open any doors. Every door I've opened has been from knocking and kicking it down by and large. So that's another life lesson I've learned is that, you know, that the more doors you knock on, you got to increase your risk of success. And just because you're knocking, no one's answering doesn't mean there's no one there. So, you know, sometimes you got to jigger the jigger the handle a little bit or kick the door open and sneak your way in. And another thing is that like everybody's phony in life, like everyone's phony. Don't be afraid about being inauthentic. You know, don't be so afraid of it. The whole world is fake, especially television and entertainment. Like it's all fake. It's an industry based on fakeness. So, you know, don't be uh, too shy about, you know, stretching the truth or making you know, self-aggrandizement. Just go and get what you want and uh, don't be self-limiting. <laughs> Very good. I You touched on so many interesting things. Uh, I wanted to tell you, because you brought up Seinfeld, has anyone ever told you you look like Jerry Seinfeld? You know, we're from the, I think it must be the speech pattern. We're from the same hometown, Massapequa, Long Island. So uh, I never met him. He was in town and he was being interviewed by Barbara Walters when I was in New York City. And I offered to come out and, and take him to All American, which is a burger place near us. And uh, the, I called the producer who was with him at the time. And they kind of said, thanks, but no thanks. Don't bother. So that was really the closest I came to meeting him. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I could say, it, but it's probably because we have a very same, you know, New York nasally voice and the same accent, you know, we talk like this, <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I can't do a Jerry Seinfeld impression. I can just talk like I do. And somehow that's comes off as Jerry Seinfeld. I think be, you look, I think so. you look a little like him too. At least yeah. you did when you were on Survivor. Oh like, yeah. No, young there's Seinfeld a, and young yeah, Europe. there's definitely a resemblance. We both got this long head. God bless him for, for owning it and much more successful than I have. But still, he seems like a swell guy. I'd love to meet him one day. But that's what, you know, this show is very much like that. It is definitely an element of, of Seinfeld that took a lot of the humor from that. And I, but I, again, like I do my homework. It's a really well written script. And like I said, a couple of people are already interested in big agents at the big agencies. So maybe something will happen. I need people to be complicit with my plans. But like I just told you, I'm a door knocker. So uh, somehow I'll make it happen. And I'm going to write a cookbook soon just for the fun of it. All you're going to learn is how to make a meatball. That's all you're going to make. It's going to be, it's filled with other lunacy. I'm going to tell you, the, the bread, the, the, you only get one recipe, there's a meatball. But at the end of it, I make a wicked meatball. But at the end of it, like it's, it's, so it's a cookbook for a meatball, but there's all these other meditations in, in between that you're going to have. Because I want you to think about making a meatball. It's, uh, it's, it's another good idea. I, have. I got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. That's you nice. are very creative. I like to have a lot of fun, man. That's it. Just a lot of fun. I can see why they picked you for Survivor. Yeah, because they said that this guy's going to – and then I get out there and I freeze like a deer in headlights. Like, oh, I'm from <laughs> the doctor. I am multi – I'm not multifaceted. I am singular. You know, no, I'm just – but no, I, mean, I wasn't that interesting out there. But again, I, I said a lot of interesting things out there. It's just that, you know, it's a matter of what they want to air. And I was very much the same person that you saw during this interview – uh, out there. It's just that, you know, they want to string together your idiotic moments. They can do it. And I think they were fair. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not upset with my portrayal or how they edited me together. I mean, I think they edited a facet of my commercial, a useless, dorky yuppie, which is true in some senses. But let me tell you, if you have a brain tumor, you probably don't have any better guy in the universe taking care of you other than myself. Like you got the right guy because I have a good brain, but I'm also, I have a good heart. I'll make sure you're well taken care of. Um, you know, so it, it's very context dependent, but at the same time is, you know, you just have, you know, if anyone take home from this whole thing is like, I've been, 
very successful my entire life at having fun. I'm not the richest guy in the world, but I've always had enough money. I have the best family in the world and that's inarguable. But at the same time is like, you know, I've had so much fun in my life and I continue to have fun. I still have so many things on my plate. My life is half over and I'm, I definitely want the back half of my life to be as much fun as the front half of my life. And even at this ripe old age of soon to be 53, I'm going to do it. But, you know, life lesson, just don't let anything stand in your way. Most of all, don't let yourself stand in the way of anything that you want. As someone who's a neurologist still, right? You're in neurology. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. My question is, would you be able to tell that there's something wrong with my brain after talking to me for two minutes? <laughs> no, I think you're exactly right, Jack. You're, per <laughs> you're a perfect specimen. You're a perfect human being. No doubt about it. I think you, honestly, I think you're doing a lot right. Pursue your dreams, man. You got a big future. You're still so young. You're going to have your own show, bro. I'm going to speak it to the, to the universe. You're going to have your this own show. This is one right here. This I, well, yeah. Show. I would say on, on like ESPN or something, you have that kind oh, of yeah. personality. You're going to have your own Thanks. show. If that's where you want to go, that's what you're going to have. You know, you're going to get there. No doubt about it. Yeah, this is your own show. But honestly, you have millions and millions of viewers on your podcast and be Joe Rogan. You know, that's it. You know, so. I think that is the future of this. I think that's the future of this business, really. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't wish a terrestrial radio show on you. No doubt about <laughs> it. I wouldn't well, want that for you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. So lastly how can we all just get behind you with all of this stuff that you're doing yeah i mean just you know you can follow me on facebook i accept all kinds of friendships you know i'm not i'm not picky uh you know you could uh just you know stay tuned for you know this other weirdness has to materialize i would really appreciate you guys going out and buying the jerk at work if you can because it's been two long years i've i've warehoused it it's, you know, it's, it was financially hard i mean listen I know there's people in finan true financial hardships all around me, but at the same time, as I, you know, I invented this thing. I had to put my dreams on hold for two years, and there's so much of me in this product that I I did specifically myself that I'm not ready to see it die, and willing or willing to see it die. And at the same time, is it's me, and I want to really. I think that it could have a lot of success. I think it's fun. You'll get a great product. It's cheap. It's about thirty bucks, and um, you'll have a lot of fun with it. Um, but yeah, that would really help home because it's been a long two years weathering this, uh, like, you know, I, I just put it on, I started to sell last year and it took off a little bit, like a couple here and there. I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't promote it. I can't go to, with apers. I'm, I'm screaming into the void to buy a doll that no one's back at work yet, you know? So, but this year it seems like things are a little bit better, but if you could do anything that would help me, um, and help me launch this, like I, I can do a lot of good. And if this becomes a multi-million dollar product, um, you know, I, the plan is to not hoard all that. I make plenty of money. I don't see myself ever buying any yacht or anything. I, I just see myself doing a <laughs> heck of a lot of good for a heck of a lot of people. Um, if it comes to fruition the way I know it can. Awesome. Well, Hey, yeah. and the college, college guys, if we got any college guy listeners, which I'm sure we do guys, I know you like the pranks. Yeah. We did a lot of pranks in college. Yeah. I want to do the big jerk on house. campus soon. Once you make the jerk at work work, the, the next is big jerk on campus with, with yeah. licensing but the NCAA sweaters and everything. Jerk at work still yeah. works at, for college. It does. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You go and you can probably find even a sweater online. You know, they make uh, accessories for these things on Etsy and stuff. So you can buy a doll sweater uh, and just make them the, the big jerk on campus. But yeah, but I think it's really good. I mean, I wouldn't believe, you know, I believe in it and I worked really hard on it. And I can't tell you how much work goes into inventing that. It makes me wonder how, like, I, here's a here's a sphygmomanometer, a blood pressure cuff, right? I use it to check my blood pressure here. Anything you can buy at CBS. 
how do I get this patented? How do I build this? How do I use the electronics that other people have patented within the mechanism here? Like, it is so complicated just to get a doll through safety testing and invention and patent and clearing the patent search and doing all that stuff. Like, I can't even tell you. I'm not trying to discourage any inventors out there, but I cannot tell you how much work it took. It is enormous amount of work. So the fact that it was enormous and it's finally here, I just hope that people like it, buy it, share it with their friends, tell their friends about it. And I hope it becomes a big success that I know it can. He's Dr. Sean Kniff. You can find him on Facebook. Use Twitter or Instagram at all. Do you, should people follow you? Yeah, there? Twitter. I'm on Twitter under Sean Kniff. I think it might be Dr. Sean Kniff. I'm the only one there. And, you know, of course, you can always email me at drseankniff at gmail.com. I'm a friend to everybody. I don't mind uh, hearing from anybody ever. So, um, yeah, it's drseankniff at gmail.com. Uh, but yeah, if you want to contact me, if I said anything that you felt was meaningful, if you hate my guts, even you can write me and I'll explain myself further. I don't, you know. Well, you know um, what? This is how it works with the Survivor fans. They if they hate on somebody, which by the way, I have not seen. I mean, I don't really pay attention to that stuff, so maybe I'm wrong. But I've not seen any hatred your way recently, at least. Right, I'm an unhateable guy, and I think that the yeah. word's gotten around in the aftermath of Survivor about why I was voting in alphabetical order. Right. I think voting for Richard is inarguable. I mean, if you watch the show, you're a fan of the show. You can hate Richard all day long. A lot of us hate him, right? But but he earned it, and he deserved to win it. And he was a good winner. I mean, minus his tax situation. But, you know, he deserved to win it. And, you know, like I think anybody in their right mind, which I was, would have done the same thing. So, uh, but here's the thing with Survivor fans, is... They might hate on somebody, and then when they just pop up out of the woodworks like this, they're very happy to see them. And I think that's going to be the case. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be happy to hear from you. And like I said, I got thick skin. I could take it off. You know, so it doesn't. I've been through much worse than anything you can hand at me. No doubt about it. He's Doctor Sean by the Jerk at Work at thejerkatwork.com. Thank you so much for your time today, Sean. Thank you, Jack. You're amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great time. All right, y'all, that concludes my conversation today with Dr. Sean Kniff. I want to thank him for coming on. It was a joy talking with him. He's a great guy, and I hope you guys will support him with the jerk at work. It was cool getting in touch with him recently. And as I promised, we will have Jervis Peterson on this show in the near future. And we're going to have other Survivor contestants on in the near future. In fact, Tomorrow, this is right now, I'm recording this, it's Thanksgiving week 2022. Depending on when this comes out, depending on when our next episode comes out, but the next episode that you guys should hear is a podcast episode that I'll be recording with my dear friend Stephanie LaGrosa-Kendrick, which she's been on this show now uh, four times, so I think this is the fifth time that we'll be having her on. And we are going to interview her nephew, Philip. Her nephew Philip Lagrosa, he would uh, his team came up one game shy of the Little League World Series, playing for Tom's River East, uh, and they played in the regionals. And those games were on ESPN. So he was he is a star, and he's got a bright future in front of him. So we're going to talk Little League baseball, youth sports. It's going to be a really fun conversation. I hope you guys will enjoy it. It's going to be a fun hour. It's always fun when we speak with Stephanie. Uh, so tune in for that. If you guys enjoyed today's episode of the Jack Vita Show, make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. I'd love it if you paused right now, or at least you know there's like a minute left here. So when this ends, go and hit subscribe. 
because we're getting people watching these podcasts. We get a lot of people watching and listening to them, but it's only, it's like if I don't post it on any social media, if I don't post it anywhere, if it doesn't come up on Google, people don't see it. Uh, so we need people subscribing so you guys are checking it out and we can keep growing this show. In addition to subscribing, follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we're going to have more great content coming soon. Like I said, we'll be speaking with Stephanie tomorrow. And until then, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dance to the lobsters. <laughs>